Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Depth Discussion for the first week of April. I can't believe we've got a quarter of this year gone already. I mean, we're in April. It's April 2nd, 2018. Welcome to everybody. Hope everybody's had a good week. I hope everybody had a, a very nice Easter, an enjoyable time with family, and you didn't eat too many chocolate bunnies. I didn't eat any, but I ate some donuts. Mm-mm-mm. But uh, I would like to uh, welcome everybody. We are going to be talking about some interesting things, some uh, interesting developments tonight, things that are going on. But first, I need to do a disclosure and tell everybody that what you hear on this call is discussion. That's why it's called Dallas Debt Discussion. It's not a legal advice line. It's not a place to get legal advice. We don't know what legal advice is. We couldn't give it. If we, if our lives depended on it, we'd be doomed. We don't know what legal advice is. That's something that lawyers can give. Uh, they have some kind of magic potion they evidently acquire in law school. But we don't give it. If you hear anything here that sounds like legal advice to you, you're wrong. You're making a mistake. You have an erroneous impression of what we're doing. But we do talk about the use of the courts, the proper use of the courts to uh, enforce your rights under the consumer protection statutes. And this call is all about education. It's about helping people learn how to use the courts properly, how to understand the consumer protection statutes, and how to stand up for your rights under those statutes. The bottom line is we don't ever give legal advice. So um, if we are talking about anything saying, well, you know, you want to do this or want to do that when we're talking in relation to somebody's question, please understand that the the uh, context in the way we're saying that is we're talking about that's what we would do if we were in a situation similar to yours or standing in your shoes given the set of facts that you've presented to us. But please understand we don't give legal advice. We're just trying to help people learn how to do things the right way. Uh, Terry, John, myself, the three moderators on this call are all litigators in federal court. We're not just going out and reading stuff on the Internet and Googling stuff. Ooh, this sounds good. Let's talk about this on the calls. No. We all litigate in federal court, and we have between us uh, some pretty stand- substantial Uh, litigation, uh, including in the appellate courts, wins in appellate court for John and Terry. I've been to the appellate court. I did not win, but I was really out on a limb in what I was trying to accomplish. I didn't make it, unfortunately, but you don't know if you don't try. So we've all been to appellate court even. 
So it's not like we are speaking from no experience and not being able, not understanding court procedure, not understanding how to go about making arguments. We've uh, collectively been very, 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 very successful in the federal court system. But it's because we spend a lot of time learning, working on things, and we follow the rules. And a good example of that is uh, almost two weeks ago, two weeks ago this coming Wednesday when I was in federal court for the very first time personally, very first time. I've been litigating since 2011. That was the very first time I had to actually be in a courtroom for a hearing and the judicial assistant before the judge came in, uh, we, I had some discussion with him and he told me, he says, you do a great job of following the rules. And it's always nice to get a compliment like that. And that's from somebody, you know, this is this is the guy that's looking at all the paperwork and doing most of the work. You know, the judge says, do this, do that. He's the one that's doing it. So he knows whether I'm following the rules or not. So even getting a compliment from the uh, judicial assistant is, is nice. It shows that uh, they recognize that. And I take pride in that. And I, I, I talk about it all the time, tell everybody how important it is. Well, it gives you a good feeling the first time you're in a federal courtroom and somebody tells you you're doing a great job of following the rules. So uh, I encourage everybody to do the same. Uh, try and gather as many of those kind of compliments as you can because it's rare. It's very rare for a pro se litigant to get those kind of compliments from anybody in the judicial system. So take them when you can get them. But uh, tonight, we I know we've got some good news. Uh, John's got some interesting things to talk about tonight, to say the least. And Terry has some news. I have some news. So uh, what we're going to do is, like we always do, we're going to start with good news before we get into Q&A. And I ask everybody, if you are not... Uh, speaking, that you mute yourselves. When you come on this call, you are unmuted. So if you're yawning, if you're slamming a door, if your dog is barking, or the TV comes on loud, we're going to hear it if you're not muted. And we really don't want to hear that. So please mute your phones using star six, or you can use your other mute uh, button, but please be muted so that we have a quiet recording because we have a lot of people that listen to these calls on archive. These are all recorded, and this is all recorded for the future as well because when things start getting ugly, and they are going to be getting ugly in the not-too-distant future, I mean really ugly, they're ugly now, but when they start getting really ugly financially, um, there's going to be a lot of people coming here and wanting to learn about the different things that we do. And it's these archive calls that they'll be able to do a tremendous amount of learning from, but we want them quiet so they can hear. But we all start with good news, and uh, I'll let Terry go first with her news that she has, and then I'll let John have the floor because I know he's got some very, very interesting uh, Yeah, and I'm looking forward to hearing that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm more aware of it because John and I uh, had a good conversation uh, last night. But, Terry, go ahead with what you've got. Well, um, as everybody knows, I had uh, put in a 
motion for leave to amend, and there were pending dispositive motions. Um, uh, TransUnion had a, a motion to dismiss um, pending, and my opposition and their reply to that. And of course, I had to uh, confer with TransUnion and Experian uh, because still Equifax, Inc., never came into the case. I mean, it was filed January, what, 4th, something like that. Mm. January 1st, as a matter of fact. No, no, it was it was after that because I filed January 3rd, but it was early January. Well, the judge says the first. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> but, whatever. you know, whatever, he's a little off. But anyway, uh, I had filed it all that time back, and still Equifax has never entered into the case. Meanwhile, the amended suit adds... Equifax LLC at EIS and Equifax Inc. And still Equifax didn't enter the case. And But Equifax LLC uh, did. They put in an opposite, no opposition to the amended complaint, but notice that they're going to file a motion to dismiss, uh, 12B6 roughly. And um, Experian had taken no position. They said they took no position on whether they would oppose or not oppose. Well, when uh, the motion for leave to amend was docketed, Experian responded that they did not oppose it, but they too would hold their right to file whatever they want to file, which is fine. TransUnion, on the other hand, opposed it like they said they would, and they put in an absolutely ridiculous opposition to the amended complaint stating that they still had a motion to dismiss the original complaint pending and that since there was absolutely no grounds for a suit whatsoever and amending the suit would be completely as futile as the first, that all it would do is cause unnecessary costs, attorney's fees, and court time if I were allowed to amend the complaint, which, of course, I had to put an answer to, uh, because if you, don't, uh, if you don't reply to something like that, then the court assumes you, you agree. And, naturally, I, I replied strongly and, you know, countered everything they said. Well... Today, apparently, the futility argument didn't work because I got a very short order from the court. Yeah, that it, was short. <laughs> it is. Boy, he he doesn't waste any words, this magistrate. <laughs> so far, everything he does is short. Um, he said, pending before the court is pro se plaintiff's motion for leave to amend the complaint. Uh, on January 1st, plaintiff filed her first complaint. On March 16th, plaintiff filed her motion for leave to amend. After reviewing plaintiff's motion and each of the defendant's positions, the court will allow plaintiff leave to amend. Accordingly, the court grants the motion. Plaintiff has leave to file an amended complaint. The court directs plaintiff to file her amended complaint with the clerk's office. Well, I already did. Clerk's already got it. But that was short and sweet and to the point. So apparently the whole uh, futility argument didn't hold much water. That just went right out the window. 
It certainly did. So, but we're still in the same boat that we're the only difference now is, well, TransUnion can start all over again and try to get it dismissed, which is stupid as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Experian can put in a different answer or the same damn one they used the first time if they want. But still, even though Equifax LLC has come in, and that is also, it's still King and Spalding, but it's an office out of uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, Charlotte. Uh, it's in North Carolina. Um, Equifax Inc. has still never come into the case, and so far as I know, um, they're not represented by anybody other than uh, Mr. Carter out of Atlanta. But apparently, he still thinks he's special, I guess. But now the situation is that since it's a new complaint, as soon as that gets docketed, then Equifax will have another, I believe, 21 days to get their answer in. But I'm still in that same boat. I can't move the case forward because in North Carolina, I've got to wait for the court to issue the uh, case management, whatever it is you call it, and everybody has to be entered into the case before we can even do a 26F and start discovery. So that's where I am as of today. Yeah. So let's hurry up and wait. Right. But I'm not, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not wasting that time. No, you're, you're we, working on discovery. Yeah, we're we're working very hard, hard on <coughs> discovery and and making a lot of discoveries ourselves as we're doing it. Yes, aren't we, though? That's an understatement, but... Yeah. Yeah. So it's good time, and time that I'm grateful for, because now with four uh, defendants in the case, it's more work. And they will. I'm a pro se, and they know it, and they know I don't have an office staff, and they will try to bombard me with paperwork. That's fine because I have this time now between uh, waiting on Experian to figure out what they're doing to get a lot of my stuff done and ready to go in advance. So it's all good. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. John's story is a little bit longer, so I'll go ahead and throw my stuff out real quick so that's out of the way, and then John can explain what he's had the opportunity to do the last few days. Uh, my situation is uh, I got mail today from Midland Credit Management in response to my demand for validation. Imagine that. They put that garbage in the, uh, uh, sent me the uh, answer with affirmative defenses, and I sent that to them. So it says, to whom it may concern. Thank you for your recent inquiry. Unfortunately, we are na- unable to locate an account in our system with the information provided. No, to assist no. us in locating the account, send us you know, full MCM account number or full original account number, social security number, address or previous address, full name or maiden name. Well, in other words, they didn't validate. Well, because they couldn't because they didn't have an account. Well, of course, we know that, but... 
That's all right. They're they're referring to the underlying arbitration agreement. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what they did in their affirmative defenses. So anyway, that's what's going on with Midland. And now, of course, we have this uh, other uh, couple other situations. I was uh, I got an answer uh, last week from Miss Witch and Company here uh, in the portfolio case. Uh, they are the local attorneys, and I haven't done anything there on that. I'm going to be picking that up and working on that this week. But uh, I did get the stuff from them, I think it was last Thursday. So they have uh, answered there, the uh, idiot from uh, attorney from Portfolio that offered me $2,800 for 70 calls evidently didn't like my response because oh. I didn't hear any more from him. All right. Then, of course, we have the FCRA situation. Uh, my amended complaint, uh, of course, was uh, uh, grant. The uh, amendment was granted by the court uh, a week ago last Wednesday when I was at the hearing in Sherman. Uh, I have uh, sent the paperwork out to serve uh, Equifax LLC uh, today. I mailed the first round of discovery to TransUnion. Uh, admissions, interrogatories, and uh, production of documents. Uh, the same stuff is in the package at the door, and it will be mailed to Experian on Wednesday. But I also did something else this weekend. I went through my credit reports very carefully, and uh, I went to the court today, and I got 11 subpoenas. And I am subpoenaing the credit report that was received by 11 different companies in the last less than two years. <clears throat> some of some one of them was from Equifax. The rest were from TransUnion and uh, Experian. So once you're in litigation, you can go get these reports, and they have to cough them up. And I know I'm going to find some very interesting things there. Uh, I am working on uh, the discovery for Equifax and even had uh, several more thoughts come to mind today. Terry and I spent a lot of time on the phone this weekend and, and throwing documents back and forth on doing discovery and uh, discussing that. And uh, like I said, I've got the, the two done, but Equifax being what it is, that's a little different. But to, for everybody to keep in mind, Equifax is the one that's being more of a pain in the neck, saying that Equifax, Inc. is not a CRA. Well, those of you that have taken the time to go look at the amended complaints understand how heavily we're going after them to uh, making that allegation and we're going to work to prove that out. And they are doing stuff that's going to make that very, very possible for us to do. Right, and did you notice that uh, John forwarded us two response letters to King and Spalding in regard to Equifax, Inc., from the various attorneys general? Yeah, I, I did not. I haven't had a chance to look at that. I, one like of I said, them I'm scrambling. One of them has got like, uh, like five or six different state attorneys general signed the same letter, and another mm -hmm. one is from one particular uh, state, but in it they are addressed through the attorney to Equifax Inc., no other entity, 
Right. And um, they're they're very you know um, comprehensive letters outlining the absolute uh, up up you know outrage of their citizens and themselves over Equifax Inc.'s bad behavior with the hack. So yeah, those yeah. are good. Yeah, but they're going to say, well, you know, we're not a CRA because we yeah. don't have data. And, you know, well, anyway, well, they are, and, and that's one of the places we're going to prove that. Uh, but um, that's basically what I have. We're working more on discovery. We'll be posting some of that stuff in the forum uh, in, under the FCRA tab. You know, you go to the pleadings uh, tab in the uh, forum down near the bottom, and then go to the FCRA tab when you get into the pleadings. So that, uh, you know, keep an eye on that. Check there regularly because, you know, the discovery stuff will not go uh, on the docket. So please understand that this discovery that we send out to these guys will not be on the docket for you to see there. We will put this, uh, a bunch of the stuff that relates to this, and probably some explanation with it and stuff in that uh, FCRA file so that you can understand not only it's not a matter of uh, just seeing what we're sending it's a matter of understanding why we are asking the the specific questions that we're asking right and how admissions interrogatory and production are tied in together well, they can be, and that's what we're doing. To create a box right? to keep them in. Right. Yeah, we are uh, approaching this uh, in Terry's uh, because her fact pattern uh, with Equifax and stuff, uh, and oh. well, really in all of them, is yeah. different than mine. Um, she, Her stuff is a little different than the way I'm doing it, but yet there is a, a, a bunch of similarity to it. So, uh, it we'll, accomplishes we'll the same thing, but the fact pattern and the questions and admissions, etc., necessarily have to be different. Right. And I want to say something for all the new people that haven't litigated much, or maybe this is your first time. Believe me, I understand if you have a hard time with discovery and understanding it, understanding how to how to answer it, or even how to ask it. Me too. Uh, it was terrible for me in the beginning. I yeah. had a horrible time with it. John was very instrumental. I would absolutely recommend that everybody go into the uh, taking their money section in the website and go through the webinars that John has done on discovery because you can start wrapping your mind around the discovery process, understanding it not only from the standpoint of what you ask them, but how you answer when they send you stuff. But uh, we'll we'll try and assist with uh, you know as I get stuff and put it in, under the FCRA tab. I'll put some explanation of things in there as to why, what the purpose is, and and so to speak, the angle that uh, we're using on asking these certain specific questions, so that you can understand it. You have to understand what you're doing. You can't just go and send a piece of paper and then. You know, you have no clue whether you got a proper answer when it comes back or not. So uh, this this is a learning experience, and I know that. And uh, especially for the new people, hang in there. 
if I could get this stuff fairly well figured out, most of you should be able to as well, because I'm not the brightest bulb on the string. I'm, you know, I, you think, oh well, you know, Dave, he knows a lot about. It. It's because I've learned, I've worked at it. That's all. You please understand that it's not like I'm just so darn smart. I'm not. It's just that I'm ahead of some of you on the learning curve on it. That's all, because I had a terrible time with it at first. So if you if you run into that and you have a hard time and you're thinking, oh my God, I don't know how to do this, just hang in there. We'll help you. Um, you can do it. All right. Um, our really goody for tonight is John. Yeah. And uh, Terry's chuckling because, John, I kind of gave her an overview of what our conversation was last night. But everybody, grab your bowl of popcorn and your cold drink and just listen to what John went through in the last few days. And the position that he's now in as a result. John, it's all yours. <clears throat> well, thank you. Um, well, you know, I, have, I haven't sent my full file disclosure requests yet this year. I have in the past and got the same thing as everyone else, you know, just a credit report. But, you know, it was sort of untrodden ground at that point and didn't do much more than that, but was aware of something lurking there. So it's been interesting to listen to Dave and Terry and the others, you know, and where they're going with stuff and sort of how this is evolving as they get responses. You know, they've asked for what they've asked for and then they get responses back. So um, and then some of our members have been to car dealers for one reason or, or another and then had an inkling that was, you know, something was going on there or there was, there was something more to see, but they couldn't see what it was. And, you know, I have no intention of financing a car. I, I, I don't. But one of my relatives who is foreign and hasn't been in the country this long got shot down because she has no credit file. She has no credit file whatsoever. She's got, she's legal permanent resident, got a you know social security number and all this other crap as a job, as an income, but there's no credit file established, which comes from borrowing and your social copy of social security card, copy of your driver's license and all the rest. So, and she wanted to get a car and didn't want to buy a used one. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll consider co-signing. So we went down to the dealership because they're having specials. If you've never bought a car before, this is what they call the end of month and end of quarter. And there's incentives, which are goals they have to meet to get bonuses. And actually today is the end of the month because the month ended on a Saturday. It rolls to the next business day, which is today. So um, we went Saturday and went to a Toyota dealer who gave the lowest price in the area for what they were offering with the incentives and everything else. And, um, she tried and they shot her down. And so they, they said that they considered me as a co-signer and I had to sign the credit app and everything and let them go. You know, and the first, this, this, you know, when you go to a dealer, you deal with the salesperson and then the sales manager, when they're done with you, they turn you over to the finance manager. Well, so we, we made the deal. And then they kept fooling with the numbers and I was giving them a hard time. In the meantime, they're running my credit because they had a, um, you know, they have the MSRP and you beat them down on that. Then there are all these other uh, costs that come in and then they come to a price and then they have the add on of their dealer fee and then there's another price. And then they had another line after that that was called nitrogen 
for nitrogen in the tires and then a final price. So I'm going over this and well, they're calling my credit. And um, and they said, by the way, oh, your credit's fine and everything. So then, you know, to give you an idea, nitrogen costs $399. How they did that, I don't know. But And say the price was 25000 So I looked down there and I pull out my calculator and it was twenty six twenty five thousand six hundred seventy four and I'm like, okay, how do you get from twenty five thousand plus three ninety nine equals twenty five thousand six hundred seventy four um it, is it common core? Is it this you know new math that they have, which is an approximation for 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 snowflakes and stuff, you know, because they can't add correctly, you know, as long as it's pro- you know, and and they couldn't answer, they couldn't answer. So the manager comes out, and he's trying to explain. It. He goes, oh, it must be some other fee. I go, well, the fees are up here. The fees are up here above this line. Why is this down here? Well, it's probably a dock stamper. No, the fees and the dock stamps and stuff are up here. It's not down on this line. Well, it must be, you know, some taxable, you know. I go, no. I go, you're not disclosing and you can't tell me what it is. And I consider that to be unfair and deceptive, unfair and deceptive as a trade practice. Oh, boy, they stepped back a little bit when I said that. And then they, you know, so they came back and they, they offered me something in between. I'm going, you still haven't answered the question. What the, What's the difference? I said, I don't really give a crap about this number now. I'm looking at this. What are you doing to people here as a practice that you're doing this? And they're getting upset. And I start getting noisy. They go, look, 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 we'll just take it to the finance department to uh, and let them explain it to you. Like, okay, whatever, whatever. So 45 minutes later when they take me in the back, and we get in there, the guy's like, well, can you put more money down? And I'm like, well, you know, I probably could pay cash for the car. But, you know, this isn't my wife. This is just, you know, a relative I'm trying to help out. And, um, yeah, we could probably come up. Why? Well, you know, on your credit report, and he goes, he goes, there's this charge-off. And I go, what charge-off? He goes, well, the American Express. I go, that was settled in court, you know, in 2009. He goes, well, it's right on here. It says it says they had a write-off. I go, no, they didn't. He goes, well, it says right here. He, you know, I know how to read a credit report. He goes, the other thing is your foreclosure. I go, what foreclosure? I don't have a foreclosure. I'm not a foreclosure. He goes, well, according to this, it says you are, and and this, that, and the other. I go, I'm not, and I'm not. But it goes back to something I did with Chase several years back, like as far as 2009. Uh-oh. Okay, this is 2018. Now, the trade lines do list on my credit report, the, the mortgage just says in dispute, and American Express says paid as agreed. Okay, so they're showing one thing and not another. Now, you, all of us that have printed our credit reports out online know there are multiple, multiple pages. Well, this was on a page and a quarter. It listed the trade line and it had a bunch of coding below it, and it was usually like you know, letters and numbers like, you know, BA3 and SD4, you know, or B25, you know, something like that. And I'm trying to do a car deal, so I'm not digging into that. And it wasn't really convenient to take a photo, but I asked him, I said, can I have a copy? And he said, I'd love to give you one, but based on our agreement with Equifax, we're not allowed to. Uh-oh. I go, it's my credit report. You can't give me a copy. He says, I'm not allowed to because they said that we're not allowed to do this. It's part of our agreement. You know, we'd be breaking our agreement with them. I go, oh, okay. You know, so there's stuff there. So anyways, 
this was Toyota, which I told you, and they finance with a thing called Southeast Toyota Finance, and they're offering 0% as a incentive financing, you know, up until today. So I said, and on the purchase order thing, I wrote down that that's what I was going for, the 0% financing. And so the dealership could pull because I signed a credit app, and the dealership could pull that, and so could Southeast Toyota Financing. The long story in short, after a minor blowout with them, is um, they have my deposit. They said they were going to call Monday to find out if there's anything else they could do. I said, fine enough, you know, because they took it on a credit card. And um, we left. And, you know, 15 minutes later on the highway, the sales manager is calling up saying, well, you know, I'm sorry you didn't say goodbye. I said, look, I'm late for dinner. I told you that. He's like, well, if there's anything else we could do, you know, could you put up more money? I said, yeah. But and I gave him the same story, you know, about, yeah, but it's not my wife. So um, he goes, well, you know, how much more could you put up? I go, well, that's the question I asked your finance guy. But he said, there's no one in the office to give an answer to the question. You know, they'd have to call on Monday. I said, you know, we'd offered five and, you know, then we came back with seven. Seven is is 30, 33% of the deal, and that ought to be, you know, enough skin in the game. He goes, well, yeah, well, you know, she's only got a driver's license good for nine more months, and they're afraid that she could just dump the car at the airport and uh, and leave it, and they're out the back. I go, well, if I'm signing as a maker on it, I'm the one that's got to pay the thing. You know, that's not going to, yeah, I know, I know, but they want to, I go, okay, well, we'd go 10. You know, he goes, yeah, well, w- would you consider financing with another company? I go, do you know another company that's going to offer zero finance? I wrote down I wanted zero financing. Well, you know, if you go to the bank, it's just going to be a nominal amount. and You make 11 payments, and then after that, we'd be willing to, you know, write it down and give you a courtesy refinance. I go, you're going to courtesy refinance in 11 months. I go, I think interest rates are going up and the economy's going down, so you wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole unless you're willing to put it in writing. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I go, look, I'm not interested in finding financing with any third parties. No, no way. Either it's this or it's nothing. So don't do anything. So we get off the phone, and I get home, and later that night, because I subscribed to a service, ding, 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 eight credit pulls. Southeast Toyota. Uh, the the dealership, Hard Chase right. Chase Auto Finance, Capital One Auto Finance. Um, I can't even remember what the other one was. There was another one, so that was five. And then Capital One pulled on all three credit reports, and the other one pulled on two of the credit reports. So I had eight credit pulls, four of which show up on four or five show up on three and and. Five hard pulls blow your score. Now they listed it for auto, you know, which you know is is reasonable. But I didn't authorize them to to do that. And so I disputed when I was there. I said, you know, well, you know, those are all, those are from 2009. You know, they shouldn't even be there. I said, I'm already in federal court with Chase. Like, they shouldn't be there. They're only allowed to be there seven years. The guy goes, no, no, no. Some of them ten years. No, some can stay longer. I go, yeah, but by law they're not allowed to be there. And when I went home and I looked, it says that seven years or ten years if it's related to bankruptcy. Right. But what's what's happened with those two is when I've um, with like American Express, when I've disputed, they they responded back. So the last report of it, when they responded to a dispute, set a new date. It's like re-aging. 
but um, there's going to be an issue with that. You know, I get a zero balance, but you reage it as something that's a, a default that says it's paid in full and, you know, in good standing on my side, and they're showing the dealer something else. That's a problem there. Um, the Chase one saying I'm in foreclosure when it's a disputed item and I'm not in foreclosure, that's a problem there. But all these hard pulls, when you look at 1681B of the FCRA Section A2, it says, well, A says, subject to Section C, any consumer reporting agency may furnish a consumer report under the following circumstances. Then we jump to two. In accordance with the written instructions of the consumer to whom it relates. Well, the purchase order said for 0% financing. Yep. And none of those banks offer that. So why did they shop it? So anyways, I was back there today. Just <laughs> This to is see, what I want to hear. Just to see if they could uh, make the, the deal for cash. Because her family was going to put up the cash. So it was a really good price. But we came around to the same thing. It was the same thing. They came down with the nitrogen and then the junk fee. And we started on that, and I'm like, how do you add this up? This is the same thing you did two days ago. You've got an undisclosed fee in there for 150 something dollars. That's deceptive. And they're like, well, you, you know, if, if we take the nitrogen out, are you willing to you know, buy the car? And I go, if you take all that out, uh, maybe, what do you think? And I look at them, and I said, they've got, an 890, they've got a 998 dealer fee, which is a lot, but the price is good. And they said, we'll take $400 off the dealer fee with it. So they let us walk. And then I went back in and see if they'd just take 200 off the dealer fee. So they came back and they said, look, we'll take 256 off. But they added back in the 399 <laughs> nitrogen and the 150 of undisclosed. And I'm like, and I just blew my stack at that point. And I'm like, who the hell pulled my credit report with eight credit pulls? When, oh, well, you gave us permission to do that when you signed the credit. I No, I didn't. My written instructions were on there. And we were going around like that. And I'm like, let me speak to the general. Oh, the general manager's not here. Let me speak to the you know, No, there's no one here like that. You know, they gave me the... Well, they called the sheriff's department. <laughs> did they really? Oh, shit. They did. <clears throat> and so my wife and her sister, who had never been involved in the negotiations, I told them, I said, well, honey, you know, after I waited like five minutes, I go, well, honey, I'm going to go out and not deal with this. You can take over now. So I handed her the paperwork and I walked out there. So she stayed. I mean, she's she's tough. She stayed. And they weren't going to talk anything about price or anything. And so I just sat in the car. And I called the police department because this was in a incorporated area. But the sheriff came anyways, even though it's police's jurisdiction. And I talked to the police department. They go, well, you know, we'll come over if you want us to, sir. And, yeah, that's okay. So... Um, Long and the short of it, they came and told her she had told them that they had to leave. Now, she's from a foreign country, and you know, she had brought that up that you know you're doing this because of that. And they're like, "Well, I'm, I'm Spanish and I'm." 
Cuban and I'm, you know, from the Middle East and I'm this, you know, the people that are working there, they're all men. And, um, you know, so that doesn't fly And the sheriff's like, look, you just have to leave. So they escorted them out, came to the car and I explained to them about the, you know, undisclosed fee. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's a car dealer. What do you want? You got to leave anyways. <clears throat> so I did. But, um, um, my wife heard them say Vietnamese people don't have any money to buy cars. <laughs> and they were, and they were all men and they were women. They weren't involved in the negotiations. Uh-huh. So can you say EEOC complaint? Yeah. Okay, oh. number one. So then afterwards, I had a friend in Fort Lauderdale that's a CFO of a different car dealership, different kind of car. And he called his boss the owner of multiple dealerships, and we went over this. And and he said, he goes, I don't know. I don't know if you're a litigious person, but it sounds like you have an FCRA lawsuit. About <laughs> <laughs> pulls. And he and he goes, you've also got an unfair and deceptive trade practices lawsuit because in the state of Florida, it's against the law to charge undisclosed fees. Uh-huh. He goes. He goes. Do you know Pam Bondi? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, okay, because I do, and I'll call her for you. She's the oh, state attorney general. Um, so you I haven't yet gotten on? the queue. I, I yeah. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up with them, but because it was beyond them, and I mean, this is you know, we were out in pedestrian land. It wasn't along the coast. Um, but you see, when I signed the form, someone had to pull the credit, right? Someone had to turn the file over to the the banks to allow them to pull. Now, I only authorized for the dealership in Southeast Toyota, but mm-hmm. someone else did that there. And, <clears throat> the, you know, it doesn't happen automatically, okay? Someone had to do it. And if they did it without the permissible purpose, that's a violation of Q. Right. Which is yes, punishable. Is. Which is punishable, number one. And number two, because I'm aware of this, I have a duty under uh, 18 U.S.C. 4, because it was done with a computer. So to you tell have someone. to let Pam Bondi know. Yeah. Because that's How does, Title 18. Right. How does that sound? And the fact that they have this undisclosed thing and they're under their consumer finance company. I mean, that's the Florida division of the Florida division of agriculture and consumer affairs, the same one that issues concealed weapons permits. Um, it, uh, you know, they have to know about this. So I think these people just, you know, stepped in it, but they're of, of the eight polls, only two of them were ones that I approved. Well, I didn't even know about that part yet when Dave told me about what happened yesterday, and my response to that was, oh, these idiots just screwed with the wrong customer. Yeah. Yeah, they have no idea what's coming down the pike for them, but it'll be plenty. Oh, yeah, because even if I just let the government loose on them, yeah. Um, and you won't stop there, I know that. Oh no, 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 no. I won't. I won't. So uh 
Anyway, By the time that thing's so done, you, you might end up getting enough to pay for a car. Well, you might own the car dealership. Well, that would be nice. Go that far. This this car dealership's family owned and it's owned in a trust, so we all know that they are smart. Yeah. You're not going to get anything but a charging order, and you can't do anything with that. So, but it'll be fun. They do, you know, for the small amounts of the statutory. Yeah. Uh-huh. And. Uh, they're going to have to fix my credit report and any future damage it costs on and on. But the important part, that was just my fun, but the important part for you guys, the reason that I that I agreed to do this in part was that I thought, you know, I'm not going to go to a car dealership for myself, but I'm going to take advantage of doing it for someone else regardless of the outcome. We've heard members that have said they went to a car dealership, their credit was pulled, they saw more stuff was there, but they didn't know what was there. As well now, as codes. My, yeah. Right. Now, as far, and I know what the man told me, and I had a witness in there with me when he said it. Now, that's discoverable information. Yep. And um, if I go ahead and send my letters now because of this to all three consumer reporting agencies to find out what is actually there, since I was told and shown a report that contained other information than was contained in the report I pulled a week and a half ago and the report that I pulled last night when I got home. There was other information contained in the dealership's report than what was shown to me. And it was contrary to what was shown to me. Had I been able to take a picture of it, I would. He did say that it resides on their computer system for a while, and and then it's deleted. And my tag into the whole thing is they took the deposit on a credit card, so I've got proof they took money and there was a transaction. But they were keen and not giving me paperwork. So other than that, but I do have the people's names. Um, So for anyone before sending the letters, or even if you've sent your letters, if you were to go into a car dealership, didn't care about your credit, the impact on your credit, and, you know, let them pull your credit in attempts to purchase a vehicle, then ask to see what the results of that were, that would give you enough of an inference that there's more there to say that in an affidavit with discoverable information that the third party did in fact do that and you were there. And that would give you a a valid reason for requesting your full file disclosure. Not that you need any, but it's, 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 it's not only plausible, it's probable that you need to see it because it contained information that you couldn't see otherwise. Right, and John, when they told you that it resides there in the computer, their computer system for a time, did they give you any idea of how long of a time that is? It was a car dealer. Can you trust anything that comes out of their face? Well, I'm just wondering, because I have a point, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to go ahead with your uh, full Litigation. file disclosure letters now, um, mm-hmm. as soon as you've got anything going, you can subpoena a copy of that, regardless of what their agreement is. You can't, well, can't, you can't issue a subpoena and, until you have the suit going and, and you've gotten to the point where you can do discovery. Right. Well, I'm talking about full file disclosure, not the other stuff that he's going to end up going But I can for. send a letter to preserve, preserve electronic, electronic information. Yeah, you can. And I think that if they're going to get that and go, 
what is going on here? Yeah. Because I've got a couple different issues going. You know, I, I was more interested on the full file. The fact that they screwed and did all these other polls, I mean, that's a whole nother issue. Right. Yeah. They <laughs> stepped in it. They 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 really stepped in it. I mean, they they just really got stupid. So what, you know, you did that just to see what you could find out. I did that just to try to help someone. Right. Now, my intent was to to, to help someone. The right. benefit was to see what came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember, you got to... <laughs> yeah, look at yeah. different angles, right? I was ready to purchase, and it, and and the proof in the pudding is we went back and tried to buy it cash, and they chucked me out because of their undisclosed fees, which are against the law in Florida. You know, so I mean, no matter which way you cut it, that there was a whole bunch of there's three different things, you know. So, yeah. but um, if you throw an EEOC, which doesn't apply to me, I mean, that's even more egregious. Um, but. Um, I think it's interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> Terry's yeah. like, hey, let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, John had a very interesting weekend, obviously. And uh, I, I was really uh, anxious to uh, hear what happened today. But for him to be able to come on and explain to everybody what he did and, and give you guys an example. And, of course, now, what what did we put in our complaints? The fact that uh, we, we have reason to believe that there's uh, negative codes that are included in the credit reports that are sent to uh, other parties that we don't see that could affect our stuff. Well, he just confirmed that there are all these codes and that they are negative. And I did, it on a, did it on a date certain, and there is, a, there is if nothing else, on, my, on, on our credit card statement, it's going to show the charge of the deposit at that dealership and right. we have the the refund slip too so i mean there is there there's a paper trail right now what this has done is you know these subpoenas that uh i got today from the court that will be going out in the mail tomorrow uh i'm going to get those copies of those credit reports but now it's going to have all those codes on there how do i decipher that the next round of uh, discovery. the discovery to TransUnion and uh, Experian will be very specific. I want the key to those codes. We'll get the right terminology, but I, I want the uh, coding to decipher the information in those reports because that, remember. That, they, that I have that I I'm going to get through a subpoena because I'm going to the people that got them. They are non-parties. That's where you use a subpoena, and the subpoenas are very, very, very easy to, to uh, do. It's uh, Form 88B on your civil forms on your court's website, and all you do is print it out, put the information in, and I'm going to post a uh, one of these in the uh, FCRA part in the forum so you can see what it looks like, one of them that I actually have done. And so you can see exactly what needs to be put in it, and then you just take it to the court and have the clerk sign it. Because I called him last week, I asked him what's the procedure. He says, you know, I've never done uh, a thing. He says, let me check, 
and uh, uh, I'll call you back. Well, he called me back about 20 minutes later. He says, just go ahead and print them up. He said, bring them over. I'll sign them, and you're good to go. And that's exactly what I did. And they're all in the envelopes ready to go, my friend. And you have to have somebody else serve them, just like uh, you do with a summons. But now, like I say, when we go into discovery, one of the very specific things we go after is the key to unlock those codes so we can understand the coding and the information that's being given to these other people. That's where we're going on this discovery stuff, guys, and they aren't going to like it. And they're not going to get they're not going to get out of it because that that is exactly why under the FCRA it very clearly states that you don't just have a right to go look at their computers and your files they have to provide someone there to explain anything you ask about in the contents of those files so that is the same thing. Yeah, but most of you don't live close enough to one of the CRAs to go and do that. Is and as I've mentioned, you know, it take me ten, maybe fifteen minutes at the most, depending on traffic, to be in the parking lot of the Experian. I'm that close, so um, I can be right on Experian's doorstep, and I plan in the not too distant future to contact them, make an appointment to do just exactly that. And when I go, I will have a witness. Absolutely. And they aren't going to like it when I do that. But remember, everybody, they can get rid of us by paying us just $1,000 statutory damages plus our costs. And they should. How far is it going to go before they do that? That's the million-dollar question. It all depends on how strong that bar card arrogance is. Well, it, 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 the territory that we're starting to go into is starting to come very, become very dangerous to them. Yep. And when they see that we're being this aggressive, I mean, I'm going to send them an email tomorrow because you, you have to notice them that you're sending subpoenas out. You have to notify all parties on the website. I've already got the email written out. And all I, and I have all 33 pages because there's three pages to the subpoena. You, the first page is the subpoena. The second page is a, a copy of the certificate of service, which we don't fill out. And uh, if, if necessary, the person that serves for us will fill it out. But then the third page is the instructions. That's all there is to it. It's incredibly easy and simple, and it takes very little time, and it's d- done in a PDF just like a summons is from the uh, court's website. Yeah, and the cost is only postage. Yeah, your cost is only postage. And he's going to serve it by, uh, Jerry's going to serve it by certified mail and not even going to use a green card on it. But there's going to be an email that goes out to all of the attorneys tomorrow morning with a copy, a PDF copy, of all 33 pages of those uh, 11 uh, subpoenas. That's where they're going to be noticed. And then they're going to be on the way tomorrow. And when they see that I'm subpoenaing all of these different credit reports from all these places that got them from all three CRAs, what do you think's going to be happening on the other end of the stick? Do you think they're going to start taking things seriously? 
I think so. Quite possibly. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff, this is what we're doing, guys. We're playing hardball. And we'll play much harder ball going down the line. If you know, it's up to them if they want to pony up and uh, settle with us. But uh, I'm not anticipating that. But like I say, the, the next step will be going after that key to unlock those codes in the discovery, and that'll be in the beginning discovery with Equifax, without question. Uh, yeah, absolutely, it has to be. So, uh, and then one of the things that Terry and I were talking about, right on Experience website, they talk about uh, information databases that they have that they work with a company uh, in New York and stuff like that. These are non-parties. Well, if they've got databases they work with there, um, guess who else is going to get a subpoena for any information that relates because to Because they're non-parties. They're a non-party. They're going to get a subpoena for any information that relates to me in their databases. And these companies are not going to take a bullet for Equifax. Well, the, one of the things we're going to be doing, just so you guys know about it, is we are going to be having another one of our meetings uh, of our, our core group, and we're going to be uh, working on brainstorming on who all we can subpoena information from. We're going to be very aggressive in doing subpoenas for information. They're very, very inexpensive. Very inexpensive. But very valuable. When you look at uh, doing subpoenas from the standpoint of their cost as opposed to their benefit, uh, the cost is nothing. Well, and the thing you got to remember is it's a non-party, and it's not like discovery where they can fight back and dispute and, and BS you and, and not provide things. They have to by law. Yep. They're a non-party to the suit, and they can get their butt in a sling with the court. The court, the court can issue a court order to compel them to provide stuff if they don't. Contempt of court. That's right, because a subpoena is an order of the court. Now, I've got a question, Dave. Yeah. When you, uh, and I'm sure this is probably going through the minds of some other members, when you subpoena non-parties, like the 11 that you're doing, because you know they pulled your credit report, you know they have it, and uh, so you want it, do you have to give it to the other side? I don't know. I don't know, Terry. That's a good question. We'll get an answer to it. Well, the only reason I'm asking that, Dave, is now I can see where if you're subpoenaing other information, not a credit report that they got necessarily, but like that other company, uh, data they're holding in their database. Okay, that's not a credit report. Credit reports are not considered uh, fair game in litigation. Okay, we well, know that. Well, they're, yeah, they're, they're confidential information, but any of the consumer information that you would get through the subpoena of like this other entity, like I mentioned in New York, that's, uh, that's going to be confidential consumer information. Right. But when it's also a credit report, 
I think you would have very good grounds to say, no, go do your own homework. I don't have to give you that any more than I have to get you have a right to get my credit report during litigation. Well, you see where I'm the, going with that? Yeah, no, I, I understand your questions and, and you're making very good points. That's something, that's a bridge we haven't crossed yet and we haven't even contemplated going there. We'll, you, those are answers that we do need to get. And, and of course, we'll, we'll be talking to attorneys to uh, assist in, in getting those answers. I'll give you my two cents. I do not believe that you have to share the discovery answers. Discovery is not to be filed into the record. You only file discovery responses on the record if there's a a dispute that you're going to compel because they gave you the, the bad answers. And even then, depending on your local rules, you don't have to file it in, but we always do because it just puts it on the record. Now, at the end. When, you consider, when you consider there can be multiple defendants in a case like this, when the plaintiff does discovery and receives the responses, even if you've signed a joint stipulated protective order, that's not to say that the information that you receive from Equifax wouldn't be competitive, uh, proprietary business practice information that if their competitor TransUnion got a hold of, TransUnion could use to their advantage. So it, it's that not... That could be a basis for non-sharing, right. Right. Well, it, the right. Only- and, and sometimes in, in, in a lawsuit, you can pit defendant A against dependent, defendant B. So again, you wouldn't, they wouldn't want that information shared with the other defendants. Okay. Well, I'm not they willingly have... going to share that information. The only no. way I would share it would be if I was absolutely forced to by the court. Well, I see Correct. one one instance where you probably would have to, if it went all the way to trial and you got to uh, pre-trial uh, paperwork where you have to reveal your you know your evidence and witness list. Mm-hmm. When it got to that point. If you're using it as evidence, the portion which you are going to use for evidence, you would have to share. Would have to dis- you'd have to disclose, but it'd right. be that'd be uh, basically under seal. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, this is, we're thinking down the road, but you know, you make very good points, and this is good discussion for us to have. But the point is, at at this point in time in the proceedings, you don't sit back and wait. You kick you kick the uh, discovery into gear and you start working on getting this information. You don't wait and go, oh, well, I guess I should have been doing. No, don't go there. You know, I've got 11 subpoenas and I, I, I see myself doing at least another half a dozen, maybe more. And they won't, and it, and, and it won't be two months from now. It'll be and, much sooner. and it's like, it really, you know, after Dave has has shared with everyone how ultra simple and pretty much cost free it is for you to do, it's like sending out a debt validation letter. There's no downside to, to subpoenaing for information that you need to you feel you need to have. Well, in this case, I know they received the reports because I'm taking the information right off my credit reports from the credit polls that are shown. Right. It, it gives case, me the exact cause, date. Because I called them and asked them and what date they did it on, and they told me. 
Yeah. And uh, just to uh, to give you an idea, in, all I typed in in the form was this information. It says this. Uh, well, wait a minute. No, that's, that's not what I, that was a different one. Um, but it just uh, the uh, the credit report received by you uh, on one sixteen seventeen uh, from Experian related to David Mack SSAN Social Security account number ending in nine one six one. That's all you got to type in. And it's to the custodian of records of whoever the company is. You just have to type in exactly what it is you want them to give you. Right. And I mean, you know, and it says right on there, you are commanded to produce at the time, yeah. date, and place. And in my case, I give them until May 4th. Ample time, about 30 days. They have to provide it by April 4th. Or, I mean, May 4th, excuse me. But see, when you, send the, when you send the email out, oh, and uh, because I'm having a friend of mine uh, uh, serve these. They have to I be put, served. Yeah, yeah, make sure they yeah, they have to, I, I mentioned that. They have to be served by a you know, person that qualifies just the same as doing a summons. I put a little cover letter on here. To whom it may concern. To properly respond to the attached subpoena issued by the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Texas in case number 418-CV-0006, be sure to forward the requested documentation to the person named on the subpoena as the requester of the information at the bottom of the first page. Do not respond to the person at the address who has served the subpoena upon you as they are only performing service of this legal document upon you. Thank you. Because it's my credit report. Right. They're sending it to me. I'm the requester. So, um, and, you know, if anybody, oh, well, well, this looks kind of phony to me. You know, if I don't get stuff in a reasonable period of time, I will notice them. If I don't receive this by such and such date, I'm going to the United States Federal District Court and, and file a motion to compel and have the court order you to produce it. Is that what you want? If you think it's fake, well, you'll find out how fake it is. So, anyway... Um, We'll see what happens. It's fun. So, anyway, uh, we have several people with hands up, and we need to go to Q&A. How do you raise your hand? Star 8. That'll let you raise your hand. And as we're going through Q&A, we will take good news right along with Q&A because we spend a little more time with this stuff, uh, what we're doing now. So let's go to... Who knows truth? You are unmuted. Good evening. Good evening, Dave. Um, How are you? I'm good. Good. I've been listening, and uh, as I'm listening, I'm I'm formulating more questions. 
Um, <laughs> Imagine that. Yes. Uh, I did. My ears perked up when you talked about going to the pleadings. I did see the, um, oh, that the Equifax letters or letters, and that was interesting because, um, uh, where is this now? Oh, it's a PDF. Um, Equifax stands for Equifax Inc., and it does say that right in the letter. And and one of my exhibits to um, for my amended complaint is the response I got from Equifax saying that uh, Equifax Inc. was Equifax. Or if I wanted to get some more information, I think for a price, send it to Equifax. So that kind of that would kind of um, <coughs> provide a foundation for evidence for me that Equifax and Equifax Inc. is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, no, I saw. What, what did I see on? Why did I get that? pleadings section um i see okay yeah just the king and spalding letters but your discovery has not been put up there yet is that correct? no no i have not put the discovery up there okay well that takes care of that uh but i'll be watching for it because i do have I yeah do it'll have probably be a few days it'll probably be maybe by by the weekend okay i won't get, and, i won't be getting that up in a in a day or two i've i've got plenty on my plate here okay now, I my uh, amended complaint, my motion for uh, leave of the court was accepted, and I just got notification in the mail that um, it was accepted. And it, it was granted. Say, it wasn't accepted. Your motion was granted. Get used to using the right terminology. Okay. Sure. And interestingly enough, one of the other members, uh, even though Equifax had not come into the case, like what's going on with mine yet, got a notification from Carter that he is the national counsel for this case. Yeah. That was the terminology that he used. National counsel for this case. Is he saying all these multiple cases are being considered one? What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And, and and he sent that email to the guy, and he's not entered into the case. It's mm-hmm. same kind of. Well, yes. in, in in the context of this, just so everybody knows, he he wanted to see a copy of the complaint, yeah, and I yeah. want to I want to make a point of telling everybody. When you are noticing the other side that you're going to file a motion for leave to amend and an amended complaint, send them a copy of the motion and the complaint and the amended yeah, why complaint. Because you have to anyway. Well, you you want to you, you don't think you're you're doing something neat by not showing them. They they really have a right to see it. Let them see it, and if you have to do the certification of uh, conference, uh, then you know they. They need to see it anyway. So just don't think that, you know, oh, well, I don't know whether I should send them or not. Yes. The answer is unequivocally yes. When you notice them that I'm going to file a motion for leave to amend an amended complaint, you send them a copy of both of them before you file it. Right. Just so everybody knows. In the situation where... uh, it's a little bit different with Equifax because the reason we had to, even though they haven't entered into the case for me, 
I would still have to because I'm adding another one of their entities as a defendant. That's part of the new uh, uh, complaint. And so I did send it to them as well as the others. But for other things that are going on in the case, if they haven't entered in the case, uh, who are you supposed to notice? Right. Nobody's yeah. official. Yeah, you're not, you don't have to, if they haven't made an appearance in the case, you don't have to send them copies of what you're dealing with on, with the other defendants that have already right. entered the case. Right. Just to clarify. Okay, what other questions you got? Okay. Okay. And I do see uh, the motion was granted. And uh, my plaintiff, it says plaintiff's amended complaint was accepted for filing. And that's where the accepted came in my brain. Good. So okay. even though they haven't uh, put in a separate filing uh, saying that, they uh, they have accepted my complaint, is accepted as filing as filed. On the PACER, it, it just has my, my uh, motion for leave to amend. Because the judge has to rule. Well, yeah, I don't it'll sh it'll show your new eventually uh, when when the clerks get around to it, it it'll show your amended complaint docketed and your original complaint will will then be moot. Okay. Well, uh, then they sent me uh, with that order. Um, of course, they rescheduled the uh, all the Rule 16 joint meeting. Uh, what is that? Uh, Rule 16 scheduling conference that's been rescheduled, which is good. Uh, put a little bit in the future because I need more time. Um, but then they sent me my uh, summons in a civil action, which they said they would do when I had filed the amended complaint or the proposed amended complaint and the motion for leave of the court. So, so the summons is for ink that you're adding, right? Or yes, I mean, not, yes. ink, not ink, but LLC. It is for, yes, uh, Equifax Information Services. And it LLC. Didn't say that. Oh, okay, it doesn't say that. Uh but it, it shows it to the right, to, and and I can put that, I can add that in. I think um, with a pencil, or I mean with a pen or something. No, because it, no, no, don't change that. No, absolutely don't. Okay. Well, it doesn't have LLC. It has Equifax Information Services, and it has the uh, the um, resident agent. If they for, if they want to squeal about it, then deal with it then. But don't don't go changing a court document. No, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and, well, the part that uh, that has been typed in is something that I would have filled in by hand if if they had if it had been a whole new complaint. But I but I will send that in just as you say, just the way it is. And if they want to complain about it later, so I'm taking it that now I have I have permission or it's okay for me now to send this to a process uh, process server. Right. Using That's right? why they sent okay. it to you. You're you're. Uh motion for leave to amend has been granted, so your complaint is going to be uh, uh, docketed, and uh, then you can send that out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And now, now that you mentioned the LLC part, I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll check later, but I'll see in my amended complaint to see if I did put LLC. I, I hope I did. you did. Yeah. yeah, I think I did. But... Uh, but you know, I had to leave all that stuff there, and they then they couldn't give me anything until uh, until the um, motion for leave was, uh, until there was a ruling by the court, right? Right, right. Okay, so now that's that. Uh, the next thing, okay, here's the interesting thing. Um, now, TransUnion has offered uh, has made a settlement offer for five hundred dollars, and 
they, okay, let's go back to that email. Um, goodness, okay, here it is. Uh, they said in their settlement agreement that, okay, there was a, a, a paragraph in there that said, uh, uh, plaintiff acknowledges that she has reviewed the copy of her transunion consumer disclosure dated. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Atta- right. Well, that's not the interesting part yet. Attached here to his Exhibit A. So I had emailed them, I believe, last Friday. I'm not sure. Either Thursday or Friday. That Did they have that? You know, did they have it? Something? Because I didn't see it there as Exhibit A with the settlement <coughs> agreement that they sent me. Well, I received a, a reply today from the um, firm, and it said, we will provide a consumer disclosure labeled as Exhibit A with the finalized settlement agreement and release in the event we reach a settlement resolution. Oh, hell no. No. <laughs> no. So I don't really think this is a very good faith, off, uh, oh, good faith offer. That is no. ridiculous. They're trying to get – okay, first of all, they're trying to trap you into perjury that you you've seen it, you've read it, and you agree that it's accurate, but they're not gonna give it to you to look at and and analyze until well, after you agree to that. Well here's right. the thing. Here's the thing. Terry makes one point there, but if you don't see it, you don't know if anything's accurate and all that is is a ploy that they want to delay things, have you agree, and then they're going to send you a credit report. Yeah. And, okay, and think about this. If you were to sign that the way it is, and you are swearing that this is your file disclosure and you say it's accurate, you are committing perjury already because... Do you have any first-hand fact knowledge that their information is accurate and that that's all they have? Do you? No. Absolutely not. You have but, no first-hand fact knowledge. You can't swear to that. Well, but if I were standing in your shoes, you know where things stop? They stop at the uh, $500. Yeah, right. Yeah, me too. Right. There's no there's no discussion at five hundred dollars with me. It's a thousand ah, plus my costs, especially for all the grief that you that you've put me through. It's a thousand dollars plus my costs to date, and then we can right. talk about the rest. Right. But until and you come up with that, we don't even have anything to discuss. Well, I, I would like to put in my email that this doesn't seem like a good faith offer because I I want to have a, a written record of no, what they're doing. Say, yeah, you don't say <clears throat> it doesn't seem like it. It is not a good faith offer, and as a matter of fact, it is deceptive. First uh-huh. of all, I would not con- I will not consider any settlement for less than a thousand dollars plus my costs, all costs to date. Secondly. I am not going to sign any settlement agreement that relates to accuracy of any information in a disclosure or a credit report because this action is not about accuracy of information. It's about whether you provided it. Have a wonderful day. Okay. And that's exactly all I would say, too. 
That would be the end of it. See, what they're wanting to do is drag you off into the weeds, take you down a rabbit trail. And we keep telling everybody, you have to stay laser-focused on the white line. The issue is you didn't provide the disclosure. It's got nothing to do with accuracy of any information, whether it's in your file, your credit report, sent to someone else. That's not the issue. And you're not going to let them make it the issue. Go back and read the complaint, Mr. TransUnion. That's not one of the issues in the complaint. It's... I asked for a full file disclosure. You didn't give it to me. That's a violation of the FCRA. I want my money. Go pound sand otherwise. <laughs> okay. I'm you you have to. That's the, way, that's the way you got to deal with these people. Don't let them take you down these other roads. Don't even get into discussions with them on this other stuff. You just cut them off and tell them, we're not going there. That's okay. not the issue in the lawsuit. So we're not discussing that. Right. And I, I think I don't think they really intend to settle. I think they were just throwing that out there, first of all, to test me. To see, you don't know. You know or they're hoping you're dumb and you'll just do it. Right, right. But at, at least this way they can say when it comes to our, our joint conference meeting, that uh, our uh, order, Rule 16 scheduling conference. Conference, meeting. yeah. Well, we, we made yeah, an we, offer of settlement and she refused right. to take it. Well, Your Honor, I most certainly did because it was uh, insufficient and it didn't address the issues in the the, uh, lawsuit. Right. They they want to talk about accuracy of information. This lawsuit is is related to nothing more than the fact that they failed to make a full-file disclosure upon my lawful request twice. It's not about what they might could do now. Your Honor, they can't erase the violation that's already taken place. Right. Yeah, and and it doesn't, you know, I don't know whether the information in my file is accurate or not. I haven't had it. But even if it's accurate, that's not what the lawsuit is. That's not what the claims are in the lawsuit. So we're not, you know, I'm not going to entertain that. That's not going to become part of any settlement. Correct. Okay. Well, I thought you would find that interesting. I, mean, oh, yeah. I, I saw right away what, what they were trying to do. And, well, uh, and it's important for everybody to know when they try to pull these stupid little tactics, it's yeah. important for everybody else to expect it when it comes. Right, and, know and, how and to, to understand how to, how to deal with it. Right. Deal with it very <laughs> forcefully and straightforward. And Equifax did the same thing. He wanted, they, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, Kendall wanted me to agreed or something I hadn't even seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Well, <laughs> well, that's that's because they sent it to me and said, you know, look it over and see if it's accurate. <laughs> well, he, he tried the same thing with well, me, Well, I know, too. and it was uh, the minute I sent that email and said, where did you get this? <laughs> he knew he was in trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I did ask TransUnion if they had my credit report or consumer file. They didn't really answer me. They just said, we will disclo- we will provide a consumer disclosure labeled as Exhibit A with a finalized settlement. So it's quite possible they do have it. But, um, well, well, we know. I know they do because I went and looked on Credit Karma, and I know exactly oh. when they pulled it. Okay. Well, you know, I haven't, I've been holding off um, getting another credit report, and I want a credit report this time because I do have a, 
a, a judgment where I agreed to settle with a um, creditor. And the last I looked when I got my credit report, when I asked for it, for specifically for credit report, I saw that the amounts that I'd been paying uh, was not recorded on there, but I have not uh, gone back for another credit report because I don't want to muddy the waters with this case. But I knew, do need to go back to find out because I've made a number of payments and it looks like they're not being recorded on uh, my credit report. Well, if they, I, I can say that they may not adjust what's in there. They just report the amount of the judgment. And then well, they didn't even a, do that. They well, didn't even do that. Well, but I'm just saying, it's not like a credit account where every time they publish it, they're going to they're going to diminish the amount of the judgment because the judgment was ju- as judgment for X dollars. Okay. Right, right. When you pay it down, then that would be removed because there would be no judgment. So I don't think you can expect to look in a credit report and see the amount of a judgment being reduced because that would be incorrect because it would you know the judgment the amount of the judgment doesn't go down the the judgment is the judgment you know if it was $7,000 and you've paid it down to 5 the judgment was still $7,000 but when you get it down to 0 then there is no more judgment and then it would should be dis, it would disappear off the credit report and well, it's it's, it's a very good idea to go to credit karma okay and the only reason I this is the only reason I use them. You you go there, and as far as Equifax is concerned, it's going to show that they got your credit report and the date they got it on. Right. Now I know he hasn't admitted to me. He sent me that same settlement agreement with the same BS. You know, of wanting me to agree without seeing it this exhibit a and of course i wrote back and said no way not not happening but i know that they did because i went and looked at credit karma and there's a hard pull and it was them and it was after the uh carter got the lawsuit so even though they haven't admitted it to you you can go see and make a screenshot of exactly when they did it now what you don't know at this point, because he hasn't admitted, is who requested it. And who actually has possession of it. And who has possession of it. But you will know for sure that they got it or didn't, because either way, it's going to show up. You know, either there's going to be a poll that shows in Credit Karma or they didn't get it yet. But I bet you you're going to see it. Yeah, more than likely. Okay. Well, Credit Karma is uh, what is, I've never heard of. Credit. You've mentioned it before, but just I've go to Credit. It's uh, it's with K E R M A. Credit Karma. K E R M A. Okay. Dot com. Okay. Yep. And uh, is there a charge for that? Out. Or no, 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 it's free. It's free. And you okay. can do it. You can do it every day if you want. It's always free. Okay. Yep. So and you'll only get information there for Equifax and uh, TransUnion. TransUnion. To get Experian information, you have to go to credit.com. They they do their own thing. All right. So would it muddy the waters if I were to pull a a request, a a credit report at this time? I've held off doing that. I I don't think I would do that. 
I wouldn't. Now, the credit karma okay. thing isn't going to make any difference. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. You know, but to actually pull it from them, no, I wouldn't go no, there. No, I, okay. I, I would not recommend that either. Okay. And uh, the other thing is, now, I don't have the, the judgment in front of me, but uh, uh, the uh, the amount that we agreed to at the for the judgment was half. I'm just, I think it was more than half of what, you know, originally was. And... Um, and then I would be making payments on that half amount. But that half amount does not show up on my credit report. Uh, it shows what, up the full amount. What, oh, it shows the full amount? Well, right, dis- right. Dispute it? Well, I, and I'm holding off doing that until yeah. I get through this. Uh, yeah, t- yeah, don't do not do anything that uh, is going to confuse the issue. See if you can resolve this stuff first before you add any, anything else. Definitely. You've okay. got, you know, You've got two years to deal with it. Almost oh, great. Years. Yeah. Okay. Well, that takes care of everything. I'm all set. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Okay. All right. Let's go. This is that guy that says he's from western Iowa on the board, but he's up there in sunny South Dakota, but it's not sunny because it's dark. The snow's <laughs> melted. No. <clears throat> you're you're half right. <clears throat> uh, the, oh. the, the snow's back. Oh, oh, my God, no. Oh, man, you know what? Today I was sitting in the park, very comfortable on my spider while my granddaughter was playing in the playground, and I'm looking at that river, and it was hot, and I was thinking, I'm going to have to talk myself out of going home and packing up a couple of kayaks. So you got snow, huh? I thought I was supposed to feel better after talking to you guys. You guys just keep rubbing it in, don't you? <laughs> well, here I thought I was being a nice guy and saying where the snow's gone and, and who's, who's the one that spoiled the party? Yeah, exactly. Oh, the snow's back. <laughs> oh, well. Well, it'll, it'll anyway. go eventually. <clears throat> yeah. Wait till okay, August. Well, thanks for, wait, wait thanks for those really in. Thanks for those encouraging words. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but actually, I got out to golf last Friday, so I I we I actually got one. Did you use an orange ball? Golf in. I use multicolored balls just because I'm trying to find one that I can find after I you know hit it. Uh, uh-huh. I haven't found anything yet, though. So. You haven't. You don't have one that blinks. <laughs> so you can no. you can't find it and go out there at night and, and fetch it. <laughs> well, no, but that sounds like a good idea. I'll see if I can. Well, find hey, that that could be the newest invention. You know, I mean, well, yeah, uh, it could be a billion dollar company in three years with all the golfers that are out there. I'm gonna steal your idea. I guess I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll give it to you. With, I'll give it to you. I'll get a golf ball with a strobe light in it. I think yeah. that might work. There you go. Make sure it's got a lithium battery in it, though. <laughs> all right. Um, I got a few quick questions here. I'm I'm a little frustrated because I uh, I have uh, the uh, 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 John, as you know, I I have the two LLCs, if you remember. I got them all set up, uh, and I went down to uh, the uh, motor vehicle department uh, to have uh, to to sell my personal vehicle to my LLC. And, and um, they wanted um, an EIN number for my LLC, which I did not have for this one. 
for this for these two LLCs. So you I get that, one. that was yeah. So I, anyway, I couldn't get I couldn't get it done last week, uh, and uh, so I I got the, the LLC I got the EINs for the LLC, and then I went back today, and today they're closed for the Easter holiday. So I still haven't got it done. So I I. I can only do this on my days off because of the of the uh, uh, after I get off work the, the courthouse is already closed. So tomorrow is I have another day off tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm going to go back down to the courthouse for for the third time and hopefully get this done. Well, were you able so to get the just, one done? I got. Uh, I wasn't just able to get either one of them done because I didn't have an EIN number. For either of these two LLCs. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought you were just missing the EIN for the one. Okay. No, there's just for both of them. I didn't think I needed an EIN for uh, for, for these particular LLCs, but apparently here in the state of South Dakota they require that. So anyway, as far as I know, it's all set, and I'll be going back down tomorrow and hopefully get this taken care of. Um, another uh, quick update. Um, you guys probably don't remember. I think I talked to you about a month back about uh, updating and deleting some information from my uh, from my credit uh, report, um, TransUnion and Equifax and Experian. And um, I followed your suggestions, and I was able to delete uh, some information. And um, one of your suggestions was to uh, have my employment data updated to uh, being unemployed, and so TransUnion currently has me listed as unemployed. Um, but yeah, that's great. I think, uh, but I haven't heard back from Experian or Equifax yet. But uh, my question regarding this is, if a potential uh, creditor uh, is looking for information about me as to whether they want to. Uh, file a lawsuit or something, they're going to probably look at the, my credit report first, right, and see that I'm yep. unemployed? Yep. Correct. Okay. Okay. And then and when so they do would... an asset search and don't find any cars in your name or, or a house without a mortgage, you know, they start thinking there's not much to get here. Yep. There's there's other now, fish that are easier to catch. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, um, now my next question is, and John, we discussed this a little bit, not in any great length, but what I really want to do next is... Friendly judgment. I remember that is absolutely correct. See, I pay attention and remember. <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got, you, you've got like the memory of... I, I think all of you do. You got like a photographic memory because you guys oh, keep don't I wish. flicking off, <laughs> flicking off all this information. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like a, I don't know, like a turtle. I remember for about five seconds, and then it, I, I have to, you know, I have to. Oh try yeah, to but we've been living and breathing and sleeping and dreaming this stuff for seven years. Yeah. And, and we also love our callers that don't only talk 
the talk, but walk the walk and do what they right. say they're going to do. Amen. And dude, you've been going step by step. You understand the purpose of these calls is I'm going to do one step and I'll talk to you in a couple of days. I'm going to do a step. I'm going to talk to you. It's better to do that because the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. And it, it helps to avoid problems. And we're proud of you. Yep. Well, absolutely. I, 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 uh, you know, if I, I couldn't do it, obviously none of us, you know, on the phone here couldn't, couldn't do it without you guys. And, uh, I, I know that with, uh, my own calcified brain, if I don't take it one step at a time, I'm, I'm not going to get it done. But, um, anyway, my next, uh, uh, goal I want to, you know, get accomplished is if, if it's possible, um, if I remember correctly, uh, John, you were saying that I could have one of my LLCs sue me. Correct. Now, what what you want to do is, um, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of, you know, like when people play football and they go through the scenarios. And I don't know. Do you like football? I don't. I love it. Okay. All right. Then you're. Then this will make more sense. Hopefully, if I can say it right. You know, they know their playbook, and they study the team they're going to play, and they know like all the statistics about the players, and they've pretty well scoped out and know what plays are in their competition's playbook. So they know they know what dances they may engage in, and the probability of what may happen at what time during the game. So if you were one of those players, you probably could do a dry run in your mind or the coach could lead you through that thought process in the locker room on if if they do this, we're going to do that. If they do this, we're going to do that. If they do this, we're going to do that. So you lay it all out. And what you're going to do is lay out the lawsuit and the steps of the lawsuit and what comes next all in documents so that when you do your initial filing when when the LLC does the initial filing suing you and it has the contract that you have breached and it's looking for this relief that you can sign a um, a stipulated settlement agreement which constitutes being a a, a, conf- a confession of judgment that says, yeah, you know, my name is Bob Jones and I entered this agreement with Tops Petroleum on such and such a date and it stated the following and the event I didn't perform under the contract, they were entitled to seek this relief from me and they did seek this relief from me on such and such a date when they filed the lawsuit, lawsuit number such and such. And I've been duly served with this law for suit. And wherefore, based on the above um, things, it is agreed between Tops Petroleum and me that I will make payments in the amount of such and such per month for the following period of time. And the in the event that I fail to make two consecutive payments, and Tops Petroleum duly notices me by U.S. mail, and I fail to 
to bring the thing current, Tops Petroleum may file a copy of this stipulated settlement agreement and an affidavit outlining the breach and and that I agree the court may then enter a default judgment against me in the amount of X. Something along the line like that. So instead of filing an answer to the complaint, you're putting, you've stipulated to and signed an agreement with the plaintiff that you've settled on these terms, but if you breach the terms, they're entitled to a default judgment. Now, the company goes ahead and files this in the court and requests a default judgment. The judges probably just enter the judgment. And then 30 days pass, and they enter a final judgment. And that goes in the record. And you've pretty much done it. Uh, okay. Overall, I think I understand the, the process. I, I've listened uh, uh, quite a few times to... Um, the other John's uh, free friendly lean uh, webinars that he has on your site. So I uh, I think I followed you pretty pretty closely there. Well, you see, the other John used to run a different website, and he taught taught asset protection um, strategies for a fee. And um, his main gig was, oh, yeah, you just create a friendly judgment lien, and then when the people sue you, you just ignore them and let them get a judgment, and there's nothing they can do. Yeah, except five companies got a default judgment against you, and um, you know now you've got not only a friendly lien, but six other default judgments against you, and you get the rest of your life to live like that. The way we approach it is, as soon as you get something from a debt collector, you fire back the debt validation letter, and at your first opportunity, you attack first and sue them and monetize mm-hmm. the thing. But mm-hmm. what I'm trying to show you is in order you can use the friendly judgment lien to protect yourself, that's the reason why we have it on the site, and you follow the rest of what we're talking about on how to sue the debt collectors if they come after you and try to collect anything, just to Mm -hmm. keep fending them off and keeping them away. And years ago, how I got involved with this is a company sued me, and I didn't know squat, and I didn't know what to do. And I went to lawyers, and they're like, sure, I can help you. Write me a check for $3,500. We're going to declare bankruptcy. I was like, yeah, what about everything else I have? And they go, well, that's going to go into the bankruptcy thing. You won't have it anymore. I was like, screw that. So I ended up... You can take all your stuff. I ended up being an idiot thinking I was talking to a law firm, but it was really, you know, three lawyers and about 100 debt collectors in a boiler room. Found that out after the fact. When I went down there to make my payment to get into the settlement agreement, I found they were all behind a bulletproof glass. I mean, it was worse than going to any kind of check cash. Um, and I signed this thing that turned out to be a uh, uh what a lawyer friend of mine called, what are you, an idiot? You signed a confession of judgment. And there was no no hearing, no nothing. It was just, this was filed in lieu of a answer. And if I screwed up, you know, and when I realized what I did, I quit paying them and um, 
then they tried to garnish me. You know, they, the default government, they tried to garnish me, tried to take a car, tried to do this, tried to do that. And it got my bristle up to learn how to sue and everything. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear someone say, I couldn't have done it without you. I just wish someone would have been there for me back then. But, you know, I learned something and that's why I share it. And um, that was only a $61,000 judgment, which oh was very God. painful. And so, um, you know, they used something and I readapted it. That's what, you know, humans are supposed to do. They're supposed to learn and adapt, you know. How, how do you think wrenches and all that stuff came about? They learned how to use a lever and then learned how to improve upon the lever and make it fit a bolt head or whatever they were going to, you know, do and and they made it work better. And the, the coolest thing about lawsuits and the legal system is unlike when you were in high school and had to do book reports and weren't allowed to plagiarize, plagiarizing is the way that goes in law stuff. So if it works for them, it works for me. And why can't you do a stipulated settlement agreement with an LLC that you own to create a default judgment? It's it's an it's, you know, you just have to let two months go by and then put in for the default and let the company get the default and the whole thing. And, you know, if it's one of your LLCs, it can hold things. It can hold a judgment, can it? Yeah. There you go, then. Didn't have any so, income because you didn't perform on your contract with it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it just it just makes sense. So, and then once you get that done, you pay a filing fee with the Department of State um, to put it on the judgment debtor's database. It's like fifty bucks or something. Okay. You pay, and then it's recorded there, and you have a priority lien that's been perfected. Now, I want you to just think about that for a while, and start thinking about drafting your lawsuit. And, you know, what were you going to make? Um, I think I, I think was, he talks about widgets. That was just what I was going to say. Widgets. Have you ever heard of a round to it? Um, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I have, have gotten around to it uh, from time to time. <laughs> from 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 someone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you. Okay. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. But Terry say Terry Terry or someone laughed. They have these <laughs> little round things that are like a coin that are wooden, and on the one mm-hmm. side it's stamped and it says to it T U I T, and so that wooden coin that says to it is a round to it. Oh. So. Okay. It, when you go to a trade show, you know, and you say to the person, give me a call sometime when you get around to it, and then you hand them one of those, and it's got your name and phone number and printed on the other side. That's a round to it. So technically, you could make a contract to produce, you know, 1,000 uh, round to it. Couldn't you? Okay. Yeah. 
you get some dowel, you cut it, you heat stamp it on one side with do it and the other side with their contact information, right? You know, so you produce round to it in your spare time because you're a woodworking kind of guy, you know. So all you have to do is have something stupid like that. Okay. So the first step is to produce a, a contract. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what John said in his in his thing is that you have to have some right. type of agreement because in order to have a valid lawsuit you really have to attach the agreement that the lawsuit's based upon. Right. Okay. And a contract so, can be very simple. That's what I was going to ask next. It's, that doesn't have to be anything extremely complicated. Just basically. Um, you know, an agreement that to produce so many round to us for so many per unit for a total cost of such and such signed by um, by, well, who by, by a certain date by a certain date you know mm-hmm. you got to have the date certain in there so right. um, and then when you fail and then you can backdate everything and when you fail to produce it let's just type in Google simple contract oh okay yeah. <clears throat> Simple contract to produce. How to draft a simple contract. BizFluent. Production agreements. Production contract templates with sample. Music production contract template. Standard video production contract. You know, so there's all kinds of things. You could, you know, you could contract to do a video with your iPhone, right? You could contract to make a PowerPoint presentation for someone marketing their website. It just has to be something. Right. I understand. So you just look on the internet, find something you're comfortable with, and that's what you're going to default on. At minimum, a legally binding contract requires an offer, acceptance, consideration. Uh, The parties must both be giving and receiving something of value, a valid purpose, and parties capable to contract. You know? So, for example, here it says... Offer. Bill made an offer to John to buy his car for $800. Acceptance. John explicitly accepted Bill's offer. Consideration. Here, Bill is losing 800 while gaining a new car. Likewise, John is losing a car but gaining 800 This quid pro quo arrangement is a valid consideration. Valid purpose. The sale of the car is a valid purpose as opposed to a contract for something illegal. And the parties capable to contract, both Bill and John, were capable adults. Well, a duly a listed limited liability company it has a certificate that says it's you know it's legal to do business in your state it's capable and so are you unless you've been found incompetent my next question would be on the contract who's going to sign uh for the purchaser well whoever you know the when you when you're in business, okay, and you write correspondence, a letter, in the signature block, what you're really supposed to do, it would say sincerely, and then, you know, um, resistance is victory, LLC, and then the blank area where you sign it, and then your name as president. But in this instance, you know, you, you don't want to list your name there. It doesn't right. really have right. to have a typed out name because the thing is with the business. But the person signing the letter is signing on behalf of the business. And you can always scribble on that line 
that you know says you know Mickey Mickey Mouse says behalf uh, uh, Mickey Mouse comma manager of such and such LLC. I see. But use doctor's writing. Can you read doctor's writing? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. But it has a signature okay. in there. That's, that's right. all it's going to be. People don't okay. read that kind of stuff. People don't read that. Yeah, just don't stuff. just don't make it legible. That's all. And if and if and if and if and if you have that and it gets filed in and the same scribble on the on the thing and hey lady, I'm just going down here to file this. I was asked to file this. You go down there, file it and pay the fee. They take the money, they stamp it, you know. You hire the process server to go out and serve yourself, which you can do. Unless your state accepts service by mail, then mail yourself a copy so there's proof of that because you want to file in that it was served duly. And then when you make your settlement agreement with your LLC, you know, you're just that just gets filed at the courthouse too. I mean, you can pay someone to file it or you can go down there and file it yourself. You file it in, right. it goes on the record, it's got your signature on it. doesn't even have to have the other side's signature because they made you the right. offer. And, right. you know, and then when the default comes, you must know someone that's a notary. Oh, yeah. So you get some notary to, to notarize your signature on there for the company, you know? And um, or someone else that doesn't really even matter. You must know someone to put their name down. They're not going to have to go to court because it's a default judgment. Well, the affidavit simply states the affidavit is simply going to say that you defaulted under the agreement. Right. Okay. And that's All it. All right. Well, I'll uh, uh, okay. I'll just get. I'll get to work on this contract then. And get um, to work on the contract. Get and then work on the uh, the settlement agreement, and then on right. the affidavit for default and the default paperwork, and that's about it. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I know there's somebody that's waiting behind me and you guys are getting late. So I'll, I'll get off tonight. You guys are on again tomorrow night, correct? Uh, uh, are we on this week guys? Yeah, I guess we are. Aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, we are. All right. Yep. All right. Again, tomorrow thank night. you very much. I'll get to work You're on very stuff. Okay. Hey, take care. Good night. All righty. Thank you. All right. We're going to go to Southwest Michigan. We got, uh, your next to the last person. Go ahead. Okay, try to make this as quick as I can. Um, I just want to just run a strategy by you. Um, I'm trying to prepare my uh, amended complaint uh, with for the CRA project, and I'm trying to deal with the um, TransUnion has a answer to my complaint and affirmative defenses, and I was going to put in this week a uh, request for leave of, of the court for an extension of time uh, because um, it's looking like, like Tuesday, next Tuesday, my response to their affirmative uh, defenses is due. No, to, it, no, you don't have to respond to their affirmative defenses. Oh. We we move to strike them, but you don't have to you oh, don't have yeah. to respond. Okay, yeah, that's why I misspoke. Yeah, I was gonna move okay, to strike they, them. 
Okay, you you did a you did a motion to strike, and they did an opposition. Is that what you're saying? Is that the no, situation? No, no. They they did an answer and with uh, included affirmative defenses with their answer to right. the original complaint. Right. You don't have to respond to that. You don't oh. respond. You don't respond to an answer to a complaint. If you choose, you want. If you want to, like we did, if you if you choose that you want to move to strike some affirmative defenses, you can do that. But you don't. You don't have to answer. Uh, you don't. Uh, There's no requirement. To yeah. You don't. You don't. Re, you don't answer an answer, so to speak. Right. I, okay. So I just thought I didn't want the affirmative judge to rule on the no. affirmative defenses. No, no, there's no ruling on affirmative no. defenses. You don't understand that part of the process. And that is just their you know, their defenses that they put up initially to the claims you made, but the burden of proof on affirmative defenses is they have to prove those. Right. And and, that, and those, that that happens at trial. What those basically are, the affirmative defenses, is just putting you on notice as to what their defenses are going to be going forward at at trial. Yeah. Right. So that's nothing that you got to worry about at this point. Not at all. All righty. Well, at least I got a motion for leave for extension of time, ready to go. Um, <laughs> so yeah. uh, let me see. Yeah. So uh, the well, you got a little practice there. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I got one already. The fire out uh, if I need. It's ready. <laughs> well, you may um, you may have that. Uh, you may want that for something in the future. So have, yeah. having that yeah. just change the wording a little bit for what you want, and you're right. good to go. Yeah, I won't read it to you now. Maybe when I need it, I'll actually read yeah. it to you. But so I got another question here. Um, let me see. I emailed. I tried to concur with the. Uh, well, Confer. I conferred. No, I conferred with okay. the defendant. And they all responded and said that they would not concur with my, um, re, you know, um, I told them that I was going to uh, file an amended complaint. And they all wrote back telling me that they would like a copy. They would not concur with that unless they, I gave them a copy of the amended to complaint to show, you know, right. their, now did you hear what I said earlier that I, I told everybody you need, whenever you're going to do that and and you uh, are asking the other side uh, for in a conference, uh, conferring with them, you always send them a copy of your motion for leave to amend and a copy of the proposed, com uh, your amended complaint. You always do that. That way they have... They can look at it and go, oh, okay, well, you know, this is okay. But that's that's why you ran into that problem because you didn't do that. Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure that was – I was yeah. thinking I shouldn't do that because then that would give them a, a head well, start on their defense and all this. But, no, okay. you, you, you gotta you got to think in terms of you're right, be above board, put it all on the table. Don't try and – play the cat and mouse hide and seek game with them. That's not a good, you don't want to develop that mindset um, because they have a right to see, you know, well, hey, you're saying uh, I'm going to file an amended complaint and they're going, you know, and, and you're saying, do you, do you disagree with that? You know, do you oppose that? Well, we don't know what's in your complaint. You know, show us your complaint. That's That's all that's happening here. 
So for everybody out there, when you go through this procedure, when, when you're going to amend your complaint, send a copy of the motion and a copy of the amended complaint to the other parties so that they can look at it. All righty. Um, just one that more solves quick the problem. Yeah. So you know, in your case, if they're Couple saying, problems. "Well, they they won't uh, they won't concur unless they see it," say, "Oh, well, sorry. I you know I I should have sent it to you. It's it is attached here. Here's a copy of my amended complaint." Okay. Or if you don't have it quite done yet, say, um, uh, "Just tell them uh, I'm just uh, I'm making uh, several changes." You know, you can just BS them a little bit. You know, I'm I'm making several changes. Uh, my apologies. I will send you a copy of my uh, uh, amended complaint as soon as uh, it is finalized. Thank you. That's how you smooth over something like that. It's real easy. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. Um... Make, it, make it look like it was just an oversight on your part. Sorry about that. You know? Okay. Um, so last quick thing. Um, I just want to make sure I understand this in terms of giving an answer because I thought you had to sort of answer everything, but I, you're saying that pretty much because I'm going to be doing, I'm working on an amended complaint and that will pretty much be my answer to, because, you know, TransUnion, I should answer the 21 days would be, if I was going to strike, would be Tuesday. But your, yeah, but see, your amended complaint is going to just make all that moot. Okay. All right, the the process just just as a review, and we know we got new people on here, so we we got to be careful and make sure we uh, know that people understand the process. You file a complaint with the court, you serve the other side. The other side can do uh, a motion to dismiss, twelve b six, you know, failure to state a claim, or they can file an answer and affirmative defenses. Or they could even uh, file a motion for judgment on the pleadings, okay, which is basically kind of like a motion to dismiss, but they're saying, oh, well, you know, he's, this, this guy's off in left field so far. It's not even worth a motion to dismiss it. it, and it technically it is, but it's a, a motion for judgment on the pleadings. They're asking the court to just look at it and go, ha, there's nothing here. Just, just make it go away. All right, that's what can happen. But if somebody answers your complaint, if they file an answer, you know, deny, 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 and then they got their string of affirmative defenses, they're just putting up the defenses that they're uh, going to supposedly, and this is all BS, just about all of it. Yeah. it, it but it's, it's what they're going to have as defenses at trial. You don't respond to that. Because if you did, what you, you stop and think about it from a procedural standpoint, wouldn't it just end up going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, endlessly? See, you complain, they answer and say, "Hey, we didn't do it," but here's our and here's our defenses. Then you start into your 26F, and then you get ready, and you get your scheduling order, and you do your discovery, and then you run out of discovery, and then maybe you've got summary judgments. If you don't do summary judgment, then you, you go through to your pretrial conferences, your motions in limine, and then you, it goes to trial. That's how that procedure works for any case. That would be unless, like, I'm just, I think I just missed that, unless Equifax, 
like what Equifax has done with me for a motion to, to dismiss the case, you would have to respond to that with an assertion. Right. See, yeah, okay. and, and you got to stop and think. When you get a motion to dismiss or a motion for judgment on the pleadings or something like that, <clears throat> you have to stop and think about <laughs> what happens if you don't oppose it. The court looks at it and says, well, geez, I guess the guy agrees with it, so I guess I'm going to dismiss the case. See, if you don't oppose it and argue it, the court is going to make the assumption that you agree. And there's the old saying, and for a lot of new people you haven't heard it, but anybody who's been around legal stuff very long knows the terminology, silence is acquiescence. If you remain silent and you don't oppose it, it means you're acquiescing. It means you're agreeing. So anytime you get a motion to dismiss or something that they're trying to make you go away, you do need to uh, oppose that and make your arguments. And right. if if they've done that, you need to do your opposition, but be following up. Like when you're going to amend your complaint here, you've got to get your amended complaint done soon enough so that the court can get that in there before the court ends up making some kind of a ruling on the motion to dismiss. That's why you've you've got to move along with your uh, amended complaint. Yep. So, see, see um, that's what happened with me. I had the motion to dismiss with TransUnion. Okay, uh, they filed that. I did an opposition. Then they came back and badmouthed me. Then I did a sir reply, and if that was one of the things that was supposed to be considered at that hearing almost two weeks ago, along with my motion to strike certain affirmative defenses with Experian and with Equifax. They were all going to be heard. But the moment the judge granted my motion for leave to amend and my new amended complaint went on the docket, that made everything else moot. That motion to dismiss from TransUnion went away. Uh, my motions to strike and their arguments on those, all that became moot. In other words, it meant nothing. It just disappeared. And those that would have to say, because I do believe uh, TransUnion in their answer and affirmative defenses mention dismissing, but it, if they mention it in their affirm, affirmative defenses, it's not, it doesn't count it, as much. No, no. No, that's that's so, that's all that's standard language. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I just I talked to Terry uh I think it was yesterday about anyone in Michigan who wants to connect with me, uh can con uh connect with Terry. I okay with this with Terry and then she'll connect you with me. Yeah. Yeah, the more you guys can the work CRA together project. and yeah. The the more you guys can work together, especially if you're in you know, a similar uh, close jurisdictions are the same one. Uh, you know, you guys can uh, study together. You can throw the stuff around. One can share the experience with others and everything. That's absolutely beneficial. So we encourage that with everybody. Right, and I'm always willing if if you need to hook up with, you know, someone in your own state, um, you should make sure you okay it with me first, so that I, you know, I'm not blindsided by it, but. Um, when people are in a particular area and they want to connect with others in their same area, if there are any, then I'm perfectly willing to be the switchboard where you can send me emails and I can hook you up with each other. That's 
not a problem. I really appreciate that too, Terry. That's that's great. I, you connected me with another member, and we're consolidating our membership. And you know, I get I've gotten some really good uh, advice from her already, and that's worked out great. So I appreciate everyone's hard work, and that's it for me. Thank you so much. All righty, thank you. All right, we're going to go to our last caller here, which is North and Central. Is it Kentucky? Yeah, there we go. We're in Kentucky. Oh boy, your 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 phone is really choppy. Breaking up. No. We can't we can't understand what you're saying. It sounds like yeah. Yeah, we can't understand anything you're saying. Yeah, I I can tell you said something. Well, no, we can't we can't understand what you're saying. You're re- I mean you're really broken up big time, really bad. I think I might have to call back. Can you hear me? Uh, I I kind of heard some of that there. I might have to call back, but can you hear me? Yeah, but it, it's really I mean very very bad. Are you are you on a cell? I'm actually on the house phone, but it's wow. I I heard house phone, but I couldn't understand anything else. You said. He sounds like he's having a tornado. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Evidently, you must have a bad connection or something there on that on that house phone, a really bad one. Yeah, we we couldn't understand a thing. All we ever heard was some. And we really I, want to answer your question, but well, we can't yeah. tell what it is. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, hang up and try calling right back in immediately and hit star eight. Okay, he disappeared. Um, We'll we'll hang around here for a minute or or two to see if he yeah. come back in because I'd like to be able to you know help the gentleman out if we can at all. Yeah, it's not that we don't want to answer the question, but we can't no, do it if it, we can't hear what it is. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that's uh, goes without saying, and that's kind of unusual. You know, usually that kind of situation with that kind of problem, it's it's a cell phone, not a. Uh, uh, not a landline, but boy, that was—that's one of the worst ones we've heard in quite a while, isn't it? Yeah. As far as reception goes. Maybe it needs a new landline. <laughs> well, it needs a new something, that's for sure. I know when my wireless, my last wireless set, started to go one by one, it had four phones on it, and one by one they all started sounding like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We're gonna. Give him another minute or, or so here, but uh, if he doesn't come back on, then uh, I think we'll uh, we're just going to go ahead and wrap things up. I'll I'll just uh, go ahead and remind everybody at this point there is a call tomorrow night on Blog Talk Radio at eight o'clock Eastern time. So uh, if you've got questions for Jesse, Jesse's going to be around tomorrow night on the call for foreclosure questions. He's the foreclosure guru, obviously. 
been very successful in dealing with that. And then, of course, Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time is Terry's call. And if there's uh, anybody that's new here and uh, isn't on Terry's email list, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com and just say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. And you want to be on her email list, you'll get one call reminder. She doesn't send one out to everybody every week because of email issues where she is. Um, so when you get the uh, initial call reminder information, make sure you put it in a safe place. But uh, she does send out other information from time to time, documents and so on and so forth. So that's why you want to be on her email list. Well, that so you're you able to get that. You won't get the call link the call after link. the Thursday right. night call if you're not on my list. For the for the call recording. Right. Right. Okay. Well, it doesn't appear that the uh, gentleman from uh, uh, Kentucky is coming back on, so I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Uh, thank well, you, Terry. I have, some, I have some good news, Dave. Oh, well. Let's hear it. I, my good news is uh, thank you both for kicking some butt. <laughs> well, oh, we're just getting started. We're just oh, getting... I know. I, I yeah, I understand. I'd like to be a part of it. Um, I finally got some free time coming up, so if I could do any research or any help, let me know. Yeah, well, it's uh, we're uh, we're just working away on it. We're doing a lot of brainstorming. I spent an immense amount of time this past weekend on discovery and uh, doing the uh, subpoenas and, uh, you know, getting squared away, learning on that what I needed to learn, and uh, then getting the uh, other discovery all finished and printed out and everything, and there was a pretty good thick packet. You sound like you're a little busy, Dave. Yeah, a little bit, and then I got uh, got portfolio, (laughs) and I have Midland, and, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little busy. Well, the PRA, the, the funny thing was, is um, this, this is going to be part of my good news earlier, but uh, PRA has been, uh, they've come after my roommate, who is 71, and my mom, who is 75, and uh, my roommate sent them a validation letter, and imagine that, they stopped calling. <laughs> yeah, funny thing. Like they have a problem uh, proving up the debt? Well, I, well I, it says right on there, you know, it's past the statute of limitations. Therefore, oh, we cannot sue okay. you. We, we prefer that you just pay us. Yeah. Now, okay. these, are, these are these are people that are centaries. What's, what's the 70s called? Centaries? Uh, old. Older. <laughs> yeah, I can say that because I'm in there. <laughs> Other people get in trouble doing that. Well, Brian, oh, it's just funny, it's just funny that PRA came out in about in the last uh, two months for one of the people I know, seventy-five years old, and the other one seventy-one, uh-huh. and it, it says right on there the debt's twenty years old. Does it? it <laughs> I got to ask you a question. If if the letter says that it's past the statute of limitations and they can't sue on it. Does it also say explicitly a warning that payment could revive the debt and restart the applicable statute of limitations? Yeah, because there was just a court decision where Midland got nailed on that. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I I have not seen that. Okay, well, we just got that today. Yeah. That's a violation. 
P-I-E-R-R-E versus Midland Credit Management. This is a, uh, it just happened, this, you know, um, is uh, a new what, case. What did you Let's see here. This is. Which um, circuit, actually? Probably what? What's what? Is it in the 11th circuit by any chance? <laughs> I really don't know. I'm just looking at inside arm on it. Yeah. Uh, well, I have Miss Hinkle usually on my backside. <laughs> okay, well, but the court, this is just a short uh, statement of what happened. Um, the collection letter contained a statute of limitations disclosure explaining that the debt was too old to collect via suit, but did not explicitly include any warning that payment could revive the debt and restart the applicable statute of limitations. The court found the letter to be false and deceptive in violation of 15 U.S.C. 1692E10, applying the least sophisticated consumer standard. Huh? No, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. The court found that the letter was misleading because it did not include any warning that a partial payment on the debt could have revived the statute of limitations and obligation on the debt. Following Patoha versus Portfolio Recovery Associates, LLC, Seventh Circuit, 2017, summary judgment was entered in favor of consumer. So the court uh, ruled based on that other case for the same thing against Portfolio. Brian, no, I'm, gonna I, send, I, I, I'm just going to send you this link. Yeah, okay. this yeah. was in the Eastern, uh, the yeah. Northern District of Illinois Eastern Division. Northern District of Illinois. What happened? Right. Somebody fell, fell down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that's where this just came from. Pierre oh. versus Midland. I'm looking at the uh, ruling. So it's important for everybody to understand that when you get those letters that where they have to tell you when it's past the SOL, they also have to tell you, uh, well, we'd like you to pay it, but if you do pay us anything, that uh, restores the statute of limitations and we can sue you. If I, if I remember correctly, the uh, two letters that I've seen for these two different gals, the upper part said you can pay a um, one-time fee of 500 otherwise you owe like 3500 <laughs> you know? They paid they paid $1.71 for it. Oh, yeah, we all know. It, my Easter conversation, <laughs> my mom made a great prime, prime rib. It was, it was a very nice conversation. But, uh, well, anyway, that's, you know... You might want to take a look at that because that could uh, that could be violations there. They might have, yeah. uh, they right. have hey. the opportunity to do something, get a lawyer on that. Really yeah. pay attention to the language in those letters, people. Yep. Well, there's no there's no warning sign like you said, Terry. I I didn't see that on the back because I read I read the whole. Yeah, thing. I mean it's not they they've already ruled on it. The CFPB, the FTC, hell, everybody, right, right, right. and the courts that they have to tell you 
that they can't sue you because it's past statute of limitations. But that's not all they have to tell you. Yeah. They also have to tell you that if you do pay them anything... Or agree that, to pay them or pay or, them. Or pay them or agree to, that that reinstates the statute of limitations. And then they could sue you. Right. Right. Yep. So yeah. we would love you... To pay us even ten dollars so we can see you, would you do that, please? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is you, when you were in Georgia, what was that one law above sixty? Oh, the elderly home. abuse statute. Yeah, yeah. They, they should bring that to every single state. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure there's some states that have it, but the, a lot of a lot of places that kind of stuff is buried. There's a lot of attorneys that don't even know it exists. Uh, Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, during the settlement conference, when that was brought up, Judge Epps said to me, well, I've never heard of that, and I don't think it's ever been used. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, Your Honor, it certainly has been used against this defendant. (laughs) And he says, well, not in this state. I said, oh, yes, sir, in the Middle District. Oh, that was the guy who liked you, right? Yeah. I said, that's that's Parton versus Midland. And I said, it was used, and it was used very well. And he said, well, I'm going to have to look that one up. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, you got anything else, Brian? Because we're running way over. We're almost half hour. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to keep you guys late. Uh, Thank you for all you're doing. I certainly appreciate it. You you guys are blazing the trail. All righty, thank you. Okay, the gentleman from Kentucky has called back in again here. I see him, so we're going to try and see if he can talk to us this time. Sir, you've been unmuted. Let's try it again. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you so far. All right, cool. Yeah, that was my house phone. That's weird. My cell phone is even better. But, yeah, I just got a couple quick questions, and I just want to say thank you, and God bless you all. I was listening to you all for a few years now, and I was homeless, and, and it helped me change my life and get money and, and get back on track again. So, Well, like fantastic. Yeah. Man, I love to hear that. Wow, that makes me so happy. That that yeah. that makes my night. That Right there, that made my night. Me too. Yes, yeah, I want to call back to say that, right? Because, I mean, I was literally laying in the streets and had to learn this from listening and going to the library. And, and I just kept on. And finally, you know what I'm saying, I was able to get some settlements and and get my life started again. So thank you for that. Wow. Good. Uh, Congratulations. You're very welcome. You. Yep. Good job. All right. I know you're on the rush to get to bed and do whatever you need to do. So I just got a few quick questions. Um, I got a case that I'm dealing with now uh, to catch you up on speed on. It was basically IC Systems was trying to collect for Spectrum Cable, a cable bill. So I'm pretty familiar with all the procedures and stuff, but I didn't got to like a, a bump in the road. I said, where I'm at now is I did what, like you said, today. I was learning that, and I heard what you said earlier about the, uh, how was it, when you uh, give them a motion to amend the complaint. I gave him a copy of it, and he rushed and filed a summary judgment, and he provided the two letter, two dunning letters that I received from IC Systems and the, the Spectrum cable bill. Okay, now you you went to file an amended complaint, or you did, or 
for leave to amend? I'm, I'm assuming this is in a state court, right? No, no, this is a federal court. I've been doing everything federal. I oh, okay. Skipped, uh, yeah, I just kind of skipped you ahead because I'm kind of familiar with the whole thing. I filed a complaint. They filed an answer. Then, you know, they filed their answer had affirmative defenses with a motion to not. They didn't file a motion with dismiss, but they mentioned it in the conclusion or whatever. But they went back and uh, they did a uh, withdrawal of their defenses. So it was only like maybe two or three defenses left. And right. we did the meet. We did the meet and confer and all of that. You know, this 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 attorney is really being hard to deal with. He's not really providing information. He wouldn't really do the joint status report. So we did the individual status reports, and I did mine with a with a protection order. And um, so now once I told him I was going to amend, he snuck up and did a summary judgment, and he he basically provided the. The first Dunning letter that I got that caused me to send the validation request, and then like a month later, they IC Systems sent the second letter, which was the violation to I guess the they, you know, they never they never validated. Yeah, exactly. Right. So now, yeah, so they provided that and the second thing. So my thing is, am I to do an opposition? To summary, um, uh, yeah, opposition to their motion for summary judgment along well, with them. Complaint. Okay, well, let me let me ask you a question. Are you past the uh, your you know in your scheduling order? You have a date that is a cutoff date for you to amend. Are you past that date? No. Because we did a joint, so I, the judge hasn't ruled on it yet since we did it individually. So right oh, now, good grief! Oh, okay, so you haven't even gotten to discovery yet. No, we we just not getting past initial disclosures, and like you said, and I don't know if you said it earlier in the previous call I was listening to because I always listen when I'm walking and going somewhere, but. Um, they, at first, he didn't know a representative. Then he popped up with a representative after I showed him my motion to amend the complaint, add him and the law firm and all of that into the complaint. Then he okay. popped up and said, brought some guy that's supposed to be the national account holder or something. Of the okay. Company. Well, first of all, you do need to argue the uh, motion for summary judgment, and your biggest motion or your biggest argument is it's premature, it's untimely. You haven't you haven't even gotten a scheduling order for the case, much less been able to engage in discovery yet. Yet he has filed a motion for summary judgment. That's totally improper. It's premature. Okay. okay. That's that's your biggest argument right there. Okay, and he provided, like I said, he basically, uh, the way this goes, he's basically providing me all the evidence that I need. Like, say, he's, he's the one producing the the the, uh, the the cable bill and the two uh, two bills from IC Systems showing, showing the violation. Right. Well, I'll let him give you the stuff. But, you know, he's just trying to pull a fast one. You know, thinking, okay, well, this this pro se, he doesn't know anything about this. I can just file a motion for summary judgment, and he won't know what to do with it. Well, you know, the, your your biggest argument on that is it's premature. Uh, you know, the, the we 
we have the court has not issued a scheduling order yet in this case. Therefore, there has no yet discovery. to be there has been no discovery uh, yet, and uh, the motion for summary judgment is wholly improper and premature, and premature. and should be denied. All right. All right, got that. So that's the easiest thing, the easiest one you ever get. Okay, yeah, Ryan, just hold on, please. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought I was muted. Sorry, David. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, Yeah. So should I file my amended complaint and a motion to compel along with that? Because he's not really providing, you know, things that I asked for. And well, now wait a second. Wait a second. You said you're not in discovery yet. Uh, Um, how can you do a motion to compel? Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was going to hold because we in initial disclosure, so that's not part of discovery yet. No, no. Right. See, the initial discovery, or I mean initial disclosures, are, are, has to be done on a schedule, and then uh, you're going to get into discovery after that. But you can't do a motion to compel something that he there's been no order of the court saying, okay, this is this is you're now in discovery. The case is moving forward, and here's the deadline for discovery and all that. You're you're wanting okay. to be premature yourself. Okay, so we'll hold off on the amended complaint too, or I can send that in with the summary judgment opposition. No, you do you get your amended complaint in. If you've got an amended complaint that, that you need to do, file your motion for leave to amend. You don't just file an amended that. complaint. You file a yeah, motion for for leave to amend, and then along with that, you uh, accompany that with a copy of the amended complaint. Okay, along with the opposite, because I'm trying to mail this off all at the same time. So summary opposition to summary judgment, I got that prepared, and I got the yeah. uh, the request for leave along with the motion of amended complaint already ready to go. Yeah, you can send them in the same envelope. I mean, uh, rather than making a trip to the court. I mean, I'm assuming you mail your stuff into the court, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but, yeah but you, can, you can send those. You can send those most, together. Can you hear me, Dave? I'm sorry. Yes, I can, Brian. Yeah, the motion for summary judgment will be moot if you do an amended complaint. So don't put that in there. Well, no. No, he you you can't take a chance on you want to argue it, but you do the uh, summary ju- the uh, motion for leave to amend and get your amended complaint in there cause right, because you're very timely. You're just getting started with that, and you're always yeah. running the ri- there. Always is a risk that a bubble-headed judge will deny it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you, true. You, you never want to ignore a motion. Uh, for summary judgment, you always want to argue that, no matter what your circumstances are. Unless the judge beats you to it and grants the motion to amend before you get it. Yeah, in. and I I can't see you know the judge would have to be 110 percent incompetent to to even begin to uh, grant a motion for summary judgment when you haven't even got a scheduling order in the. In the case. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. No discovery. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're denied Brian, due process when you're not allowed to do the discovery. But, but Dave, it happened to me. Oh, it's happened to me too. Well, wait, 
Yeah, well, but that's why I say you you do your oppositions. You don't ignore it. You don't take it for granted that the court no, is just going to do yeah, the right thing. Yeah, that's how I learned. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. That's totally correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got that part. So now my other one. This one is weird, and this is just real quick. I pretty much got this one out of control, but um, the uh, the debt collector that I was suing hired an attorney, and he admitted that the statute of limitations had ran out. And then they went on and hired another attorney and filed an answer, and I keep telling her, like, here's the proof that this other attorney already said it looks like the statute of limitations done ran out. So I'm still wondering why are we continuing on with that. Well, I'm a little confused. You say the statute of limitations ran out. Who sued who? Oh, that was me again. It's in federal court. I, I sued them, and uh, and the evidence I got is that the uh, the debt that they're trying to collect on the statute because first they wouldn't even tell me what the debt was, and I still at this point don't even know because they still ain't disclosed it. But the attorney asked me, did the debt collector validate? I said, well, no, of course not. So I wouldn't be talking to you and contacting you now. And then, then he said, oh, well, it looks like the statute of limitations done ran out or expired on the debt that they're trying to collect. And I done produced that to the next attorney. Like you know, the previous attorney already admitted that the debt is with, uh, you know, beyond Past the statute. statute right. So, so, I gotta admit so, so where's my ready. check? Yeah, that's what I'm basically saying. So, but right. you know, as we go along, I'm just adding in more attorneys. I don't add in. Well, yeah. Attorney. If you got if you got somebody else in there that wants to uh, touch the tar baby, uh, sue them too. <laughs> but when it comes to FDCPA, big parties are always more fun. They make for more money. Yeah, there's about eight of them now, and I'm like, we oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just want to keep going. And I done set them computation of damages and I done broke it down. I said, look, I just want to, you know what I'm saying? I just want to settle for $2,000 for the statutory damage. It's going to group from 2000 And once I've actually computated the damages, they're almost up to $20,000 already in statutory damages. Oh, man. Because of all the defendants. And, and, the, and like and the one collection agency had the thing on my credit report four times for well, I guess the same account. I still don't know that part yet, but that's oh. $4,000. And, and then look, they then they removed three of them and left one on, on there that's been on there since we've been dealing with this case. So I'm counting every month. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. There you go. Okay, so this last one is, is really weird. And this this was years ago when I first was listening to you guys. I, had, I, I, I sued a debt collector and got a default judgment. Got the clerk to sign it, you know, the little, whatever you got to go Clerk's through. default, right? Yeah. The judge scheduled a hearing for, like, September 18th, if I remember correctly. So I show up on the 18th, and then I happened to actually was downstairs filing something else. That's why I know I was there, because I had to be upstairs at, like, 4.30, and it was 4.15, and I told the pro se office, like, look, I got to get upstairs because I got a hearing in room such and such. So I sat up there, a lady came, and I said, are you the lawyer for, uh, I can't even remember the name of the collection agency. And she was like, no, I'm not. So I sat there. Then she got up, walked towards the chambers, you know, the door to where they just go back to his chambers. Then she sat back down, then a group of people came out, and they all left. So at like 4.45, I'm still sitting there like, where's the judge? You know, and then at 5 o'clock, 
nobody was there to judge it because I was in there by myself from 4.30 to 5 o'clock. And then around 5.15, I went downstairs to security and asked security, like, I had a hearing at 4.30. Where is the judge? They told me he went home. So I said he went home. I'm like, I have a hearing at 4.30. He, yeah, and then, well, he just blew it off. Yeah, so then, yeah, then a week later, he turned around and dismissed the case, saying that the plaintiff didn't show, the plaintiff and defendant didn't show up. Well, you should have, you should have gone back and uh, argued that and stated that you were in the courtroom and and the judge left. Yeah, I did. I actually filed something. I can't remember what I filed, but he basically brought the case back in. But I ain't gonna take you through all of that. But he did bring the case back in, and then. Then something happened, and he didn't schedule a hearing until like three years later. Because I just looked at it on Pacer and was like, and seeing that this was in 2012 and 2015, he scheduled a hearing. Like I'm like I wouldn't even known that. I like I, you know, I don't even live there anymore. You know, so yeah. Wow. I mean, well, but you know, if you if you file a lawsuit, it's your job to keep track of it and move it along. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, my only question on that was once I got the clerk's default, because I think it's in limbo. I don't know. Do I start the whole case over again or bring in the default? No, I think I would file, if the case is still on the docket and open, I'd file a motion for uh, uh, default judgment. You already got the clerk's default. You do the motion for uh, default judgment. Okay, and that was in a different state, so I'd do it in that state or the state I'm in? You'd have to do it in that court because it was already there. Okay. All right. Thank you for straightening all of that out because my head is really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) This would have me stumped. Get out. I got it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the good news. You made my you made my day. You you really did. I I I love what you uh, said earlier. I'm glad that we had such a positive effect on you, and and uh, you got things together, and you're rolling down the road. That's fantastic. I love it. We love to know that all the time and effort we put into it pays off for people. Yep. Oh, it it really. It truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, I'm telling you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, I'll double that. Yeah, All right, easy. everybody. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for joining us again. Thank you, John. Thank you, Terry. And tomorrow night, we're on Blog Talk Radio, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, blogtalkradio.com forward slash W-L-I-Y-D. And to get to Jesse's website, just open a browser and type in, don't do a search, Type in knockoutcollectors.net, and that'll take you right to Jesse's website. So have a great evening, everybody, what's left of it. And if you join us on Blog Talk Radio tomorrow night, you're probably going to hear my voice, unless I get run over by a truck in the meantime. Have a great night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.